as poets or as writers, people who are considered wordsmiths, when you're dealt with, like, talking with people in public or in, um, I don't know, like, impromptu extemporaneous situations where it's like, you gotta pull out, like, a speech, you gotta pull out something, mm -hmm. you're like, my mouth has turned into a <laughs> desert, and it's like I've eaten a pack of saltines, and I'm like, I can't, I can't, I can't say, I can't think of it. Yeah, it's it's really yes that happens I think and then also, or in an attempt to not unlike characters at a play right, mm -hmm. um, in an attempt to be understood, or maybe subconsciously deflect, um, <laughs> you resort to metaphor right, right? you know oh, like yeah. speaking you like, and and it's like the one moment where you should probably be as direct, just about as direct right. as possible. You're like, <laughs> Like, least there be any confusion. Yeah, it's like, oh, you know, I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's like, it's like that, take that tree over there. And you're like, no, let's mm -mm, not, mm -mm. let's not deal with that tree. Yeah, I was talking to my students um, about the play Fences because I was teaching Ooh. that in my class. Um, and there's this moment when Ro the two characters, Troy and Rose, who are, you know, uh, married, mm -hmm. are having this discussion about Troy's infidelity. And, you know, he's trying to explain. He's like, look, I've been on first base you know all my life uh, I feel like you know when I've met you and I met and we had Corey you know I bunted I got to first base I was good I was safe but then this other woman this other woman makes me feel like I could steal second mm -hmm. <laughs> and it keeps going on about this whole like through this metaphor of baseball and there's just a moment where Rose is like Troy we ain't talking about no baseball <laughs> <laughs> we're talking about you and me right. and you know like yeah. it, it, so she sort of kind of snaps him back to hmm. uh, to reality. Well, you know, it, to a more direct sort of business. Yeah. But like, look, don't... It, it's it's a moment where she's like, I don't want any poetry. I just want... Right. <laughs> I just want you to tell me... Yeah. You know, basically, are you going to be here tomorrow? Yeah. yeah. Which is, like, so interesting that... Like, you have movies or, like, dialogue or whatever that is not the way that people speak like i'm i would love to see a book and i think i've encountered this once or twice but i don't remember the name of the book i think it was i was flipping through something in a store and it was like touted as like oh this is like real chat speak or whatever um and it was somebody or maybe it was on tumblr somebody had a post that was had a conversation between two people as if it was an actual conversation between two people with lots of ums and mm -hmm. kind of mm -hmm. like circular ways because that's something that I appreciate that in fiction or other things that I've read that where dialogue is relatively direct and it mm -hmm. kind of moves the stuff along it's like okay I'm I'm here with this but but that's not that's not the way that people talk mm -hmm. hardly ever I mean mm -hmm. sometimes yes but hardly ever is that the way that people talk because it's usually somebody will say something and then the other person will talk but answer things but not really answer what the person said and then mm -hmm. the other person will repeat themselves or it's like they're still stuck on whatever it is that they're thinking about or talking about and um i don't know it's it's weird that there's that that disconnect that mm -hmm. it's like one of them feels like it's more the ideal way that you would want people to talk but it's not the realistic i guess it's more of like you're you're trying to circuit kind of like with poetry maybe that's like you're trying to circumvent the reality or the facts to get to the sort of the essential embedded truth and whatever it is that's like the interaction between these people these two people it's like you want to get to the 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 
essential yeah. aspect of, yeah. it, of you, that. You get to the heart of the matter, yeah. right? Um, to use a metaphor yeah. <laughs> again, but um, but I also think there's a way in which so not only is the playwright or scriptwriter, whoever it is, um, doing that thing where they're kind of moving, um, you know, they're, they're operating in a in a in somewhat of a finite space, right? Mm-hmm. Like they don't have an unlimited amount of time for a scene to move, right? You know. Um, and so there's there's like those structural concerns, but I also think that no matter how every manish or every personish the character is constructed to be, um, you know, most literature isn't written about really everyday people. Right. It, you know, even if it is, it's an everyday person in an extraordinary situation. Right, yeah. You know? No one's gonna read a story about just which is something that I've I feel like. Some of the things. Well, so I would like to preface this by um, usually when I record, I will I will record a little bit as like a cold open mm-hmm, and then we mm-hmm. start. But I feel like we're just kind of rolling. Okay. So well, whatever you, whatever you want to um, do this by. <laughs> so this is so poetry. I'll get the introductions in a little bit. But I'm gonna we're gonna keep on this thread because this is this is some high quality stuff. But I feel like um, I've seen Japanese either just regular movies or anime that mm-hmm. deal with the sort of like the minutia and it, it gives time for. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's, there's one that I keep going back to because there's a scene in it, um, that's just, it feels like it, it epitomizes or it, it embodies all of these different aspects. Have you ever seen The Place Promised in Our Early Days? Mm-mm. No, I haven't. This is an anime? Yeah, it's mm-hmm. a, like an animated film. It is by, let me bring up the guy's name because I always, always forget what his name is. Um, he's being touted as like the new Miyazaki. Mm-hmm. Uh, The Place Promised our early days and the director is um makoto shinkai Mm. um he did uh five centimeters per second Mm -hmm. um oh i don't know he's done he's done a bunch of stuff but anyway um so makoto shinkai um but anyway so in um in the place promised in our early days, there's one scene where it's the three, it's like three high school protagonists. Yeah. Um, two friends that are in the process of like building a jet. And then their, their other friend who is a, um, a violinist who like, uh, during the summer, the two, the two guy friends will go to some place that they have it in and build mm. a, a jet. So they bring her along one day and they, there's this kind of like derelict, um, almost like dock looking, like, uh, elevated dock looking thing and they're mm-hmm. kind of on it and they fall through and they're in the water and they, they get back onto the shore and they're just kind of sitting there and they're kind of I want to say that they're kind of talking about like what the future brings or just mm-hmm. sort of that mm-hmm. but the camera like there's this moment where the camera pulls r- real far back and it's kind of low so you see them on the shore but you get this huge skyscape mm-hmm. and they're in mm-hmm. the background there is a thunderstorm moving across some of like the hills and the mountains back there and you just see a couple of the flashes of lightning but there is this moment of like either very little or no dialogue mm-hmm. it's spaced out so that you just you're sitting there yeah. seeing and it's it's i feel like in those instances it's more of like a um it's like blank space on a page mm-hmm. it's like it's because this film there's not a whole lot of super high action it's more of the interactions between people and then the sort of like there's some there's some other alternate dimension reality stuff mm-hmm. that's going on that i feel like those moments are interspersed throughout the film to give a sense of like you need to sit here and think about this for a little mm-hmm. bit. Or just, mm-hmm. one, either just sit here and think about it, or two, appreciate these moments that are happening because 
as you will see later on in this film, very shortly after that, it changes and mm-hmm. they don't have this anymore. Yeah, I mean, it's a, so it's uh, you know those things. What I like about anime often, and we could talk a little bit more too about. Oh, I'm uh, how it's yes, <laughs> how I'm, I relate that how how it informs my poetics. That's one of the, um, <laughs> one of the reasons why I'm excited yeah. to talk to you today is. But uh, you know, there that those moments that you just described are not unlike an ellipsis, right? Right. Like, yeah. You know, like in which you would be reading a sentence that happens, and whether you know, in the grand scheme of things, it's only a moment. Mm-hmm. You know, you are you are in the state of consideration. Um, but that, but because it's you know animated, um, and you know, film, mm-hmm. um, it, it, space has a kind of grammar, right? Um, you know yeah. that that they're making use of. So even you know what, not only the editing between shots or the movement between shots is a kind of grammar, but mm-hmm. the you know p- the juxtaposition of putting that you know between. Two particular moments that involve the characters, yeah. Um, where you know, like, I mean, like we were saying before, because because stories, I shouldn't say stories, narratives. Let's put it that way. Narratives rely um, on conflict as an engine. Mm-hmm. You know, conflict is the crucible that changes language, right? right. So you're not gonna. You, that's why in novels people don't speak exactly like they would in real life, because right. in most of our life we're not dealing with. Yeah, the, those kinds of con- right. yeah. <laughs> it's not you know the, or the it's, a, con- you or it's a conflict that's like not not on that level of just yeah. like you, you should have taken the garbage out and you didn't yeah. you know like okay well oh, I gotta change my toothbrush right, you know yeah. <laughs> which color have I gotta get yeah, you know like, oh crap I'm out of toilet paper <laughs> yeah, right exactly um, which, yeah so that's, that's something I didn't really think about that like space or time as a language in film like I, I studied film mm-hmm. in undergrad um Obviously, did not delve as deep as I could have, but I I did begin to recognize that um, there are a lot of more modern films that I feel like are edited like way too like the camera move either the camera is moving around or the shots are being put together way too quickly for my tastes because um, I'm I'm a much bigger fan of really really long takes mm-hmm. where one you either get you can allow the, like the the timing of the scene to develop in a more organic way that you don't have to rely on like the shot and then the the thing that's outside of the shot and then jumping to that right. and you can kind right. of like you can it's a you know tension builder it's like mm-hmm. you can if especially in like i don't understand why suspense or horror films don't use that it's like if you're if you know that there's something lurking around a house and you have that time to like bring the camera around mm-hmm. so you can draw a lot of that um, I guess kind of perverted dramatic irony where the audience knows something mm-hmm. is going to happen and mm-hmm. the character doesn't and it's like all that that heightened mm-hmm. gets built up um, but I also I think I like it a little bit I also like it a little bit better because it seems that in those moments it it gets closer to theater where it's mm-hmm. like the, the two characters have to really be or the two actors have to really be on point and engaged and there with it instead of being able to, to get those performances or those moments through editing yeah yeah it's a it's a whole different um uh, experience for everyone involved when you know I, I guess time is the is the bugaboo in the room right <laughs> <laughs> like um, i was writing the other the other uh, day about um about a line which i didn't keep in the poem but that that time uh 
the time is the thing that's really lascivious. Like <laughs> it's the thing that's lewd. That's you know that's mm-hmm. lustful. You know that you know we do these other things and have these judgments, but really, really, time is the <laughs> you know the 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 great um, uh, I don't know uh, pit of desire. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it itself, not our interaction with it, right? Um, and so I think that stuff gets, like you said, it 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 evokes, and as it stretches, or as we experience it through art, um, and even in the poem, those things um, amplify right certain stuff in us that's you know sort of primal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, it's interesting. Um, the long take, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. There are, so I, I know of one film, and there might be other ones that have done this, but at least I know of one film called uh, Russian Ark mm. that is one take. The entire film yeah. is one take, um, which, and like that, because I know that like Birdman got a lot of mm-hmm. accolades from that, that scene, and then the old boy, the hallway scene is always drawn to, is like that's you know, like what you can do with film in you know, mm-hmm. like that sort of that space. Um, I think one of Hitchcock's films was like four takes because that's as long as, like you could. That's like the film roll. That's how long you could yeah. you could do. Yeah. It was like 16, 16 minutes or something mm-hmm. like that. Um, but there's definitely I feel like a like a heightened. There's a lot of other innovations that have to go into because there's an <laughs> there's an episode of Always Sunny in Philadelphia called mm-hmm. Charlie Work where they do a lot. It's like there's there are like maybe. Oh, I don't know, like four or five edits in the entire like after after a certain point, mm. there's a there's a long series where it's following essentially Charlie and all these other characters around while they're trying to deal with a health inspection. Mm. Um, that is, this, it's like maybe three or four long takes. Um, but I saw like a uh, an article about um, with the creators about that particular episode and like the things that they had to do and how to how to kind of trick people into thinking that that the there's actual continuity where they're jumping from like on set like on location somewhere and then on mm-hmm. set um and then the sort of like having almost like quick change artists where it's mm-hmm. like the room rooms will have to rotate or like people mm-hmm. will have to do certain things or be in certain places at like perfectly choreographed yeah. times yeah they're like ducking down yeah. changing here coming back up kind of like the, shot. the um yeah. which is <laughs> One of the reasons why I appreciate some of the um, the OK Go videos where mm-hmm. they have like the the crazy Rube Goldberg stuff mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. you know has it's taken them maybe like five or six tries to get to the one that works, but it is just essentially like a camera following all the action of the stuff. Right. Yeah, it, it, I mean, taken to it, taken to it, it's extreme. Those single shots actually, I think, cease to mimic theater um, in that it's rare that you would get. Um, really extended moments on stage mm-hmm. without any kind of scene breaks right you know what I mean? like mm-hmm. so even if the set doesn't change lights go down right or yeah. somebody you know mm-hmm. something rotates you know or, or any of those things that um signal jumps in time right or, yeah. like, or some kinds of allows people to do yeah do certain things right i mean, I mean that's, so that's rare even in theater even if, i mean there are probably some one act plays that that get close mm-hmm. you know to that kind of thing but um yeah, so it's that you're starting to get into some, uh, uh, you know, something new. Yeah, like some other some other kind of territory. Yeah, I, I, I wonder if waiting for Godot has like, because it's essentially it's like it takes place in like one, like one location. But mm-hmm. I don't remember one. I don't remember how many acts that play is. I think I have it upstairs. And two, I don't remember if there are any like 
like if the lights come up or go down at any point during it to, to denote that there's like a change in yeah uh you know i couldn't tell off the top of my head my guess is that it's two it's probably two acts but you know it's been it's been some years <laughs> since since i read Beckett. i uh, so i have a a really weird history with Beckett. like i have i've very i've only read waiting for godot and it's like i know of his other work and mm-hmm. kind of like his stance in, in theater, modern theater, I guess contemporary theater. Um, but I came across some production of Waiting for Godot um, back when I was living with my parents, with my brother, one Sunday night at around like 11 or 12 o'clock at night. Um, we were flipping through the channels for trying to find something to watch, and there on PBS was like, I think it was maybe 10 or 15 minutes into Waiting for mm-hmm. Godot, and it was just these two guys on stage, mm-hmm. like, you know, talking elliptically and metaphorically about stuff and we were sitting there and we're like let's give this five minutes and just see and then we watched the entire rest of it like and we were both like it ends and then it like it starts again so we watch i don't i guess it was on some sort of like weird repeat i don't know if they were doing so you watched it elliptically (laughs) so yeah we watched back to where it's where we had come in and Mm. we were just we turned it off and we're just sitting there like what the fuck Mm. did we just (laughs) see and and I think even even seeing that like theater, theater and poetry, occasionally music too, um, but theater and poetry tend to like hit me where my li- where I live mm-hmm. more so than any other, mm-hmm. um, like art, some some non representational art and music tend to affect me in the same way, and then poetry and theater all also affect me in a very similar way. Um, and occasionally films will get me there too, but it's there's something about like watching a play and just sitting there because I, I saw a production of Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead in DC at the Folger mm-hmm. um, Shakespeare Library. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. and like one, it was one of the best productions of that I have ever seen, and two, it's like they they ended it at a particular place that was just like perfect, and it was just like it did something to me. I came out of that production changed mm-hmm. somehow, mm-hmm. and. I they're very theater does that to me more often than not that I I will walk out of a play and be like I'm I'm like different or maybe it's like that maybe not necessarily the play didn't do anything to change me but I came out it gave me the the awareness or the sight to to view myself as like oh I'm I'm different yeah somehow yeah I mean it, you know I think it's it's well first of all I often tell people that what I want out of the poem is that same experience oh. that you get out of watching really good theater. Like I want to leave and exit the poem so filled up with, a, you know, mm-hmm. many things. You know, humanness is probably right. the best way to, to think <laughs> about it. But, yeah. um, but so just, so just uh, invigorated mm-hmm. by, by life, by death, by the, the, the concerns that we all have. Um, and not just those things, joy, you know, yeah. despair, all of it. Um, but, you know, I, I think when you leave, if you go to see live theater and you, you're walking out of the aisles, mm-hmm. right, you can tell if you've seen, if, if something has really started to affect you, if you just can't stop talking about it. Yeah. Like you talk oh, where yeah. you went with or can't stop thinking about yeah. it. You know, it has, it has lingered um, in a way that, um, uh, you know, makes it, for lack of a better word, undeniable. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and I think there are many, there, there are tons of ways that a poem can do that, but the, at its core, you know, uh, that's what I want. Yeah. I want to. I want to be, you know, uh, so confronted with an experience 
that I can't dismiss it yeah. as not. I mean, I might forget it in my old age or in my right. know, busyness, but you know, it's it's sort of there. Yeah, um, it's like it it does at least at that point, like it's it diverts you into either away from or into something, mm-hmm. um, which feels like a pretty good place to actually do an introduction to this episode. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Welcome to Soap Poetry. Uh, this is episode 12, I believe. I hope. Um, I miscalled the last episode at one point in it, episode 12, but whatever. This, this I think, is episode 12. Um, I'm sitting with the, as I'm sure that you've just heard, um, incredibly. I don't like. Like, when I look at you as a poet, I see you, like, five or six tiers up from where I am. <laughs> oh, you, you're being kind. No. Um, but Stephen Leva, um, he's a tremendous, tremendous poet and thinker, um, lover of anime, which I'm, I don't know if I know of any other poet that's on the same level of, like, appreciation <laughs> of that, but I'm, we will, we will get to that. Um, would you like to introduce yourself and like just talk a little bit of like what you're what you're up to, what you're doing? Sure. Um, uh, hi guys, <laughs> I'm Steven. Um, I've been listening to a bunch of Two Dope Queens, and uh, mm. I love that podcast. But I can't, I cannot imitate their <laughs> their, their manner, their idiom. Yeah. Um, but uh, you know, I'm so thankful to be here and and talking with Michael about about poetry. Um, you know, just a couple things about me. Born in New Orleans, grew up in Houston. Um, you know, the joke I always tell my students is that if you think that I don't have the accent um, or I don't sound like I'm from the South because I tend to talk kind of fast sometimes, I say just watch me walk. And you'll, <laughs> you'll, you'll see that my, I have a very Southern gait. There's, yep. there's a lot of strolling that happens. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't, I do not have that East Coast zip, 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 zip around. Mosey. <laughs> yeah, mo- Mosey is a good way to, yep. to put it. Um, uh, yeah, and um, I think you and I met at UB. Mm-hmm. Um, you graduated like two, two or so years before I did. Yeah, I think your first year in the program was yeah. my last year in the program. Um, and yeah, I live in live in Baltimore. Teach at the University of Baltimore. Um, Do you teach anywhere else, or is it just at UB? Just at UB. I mean, I used to. I, well, when I was an adjunct <laughs> and poor as hell, <laughs> um, uh, I taught at uh, CCBC, uh, okay. uh, Community College of Baltimore County, um, uh, and taught there simultaneously, adjuncting mm-hmm. at the University of Baltimore. Uh, and it was really, really, I mean, before and even before that, when I was it, when I started grad school. You know, like I, I was saying earlier that my partner and I were working at this place in Bethesda mm-hmm. and I decided that I wasn't going to do IT work anymore and I didn't want to drive an hour and be on 495 and that whole business. I mm-hmm. could just, you know, um, it, I felt like Sisyphus and no matter what Camus <laughs> says, Sisyphus was not happy. Yeah. <laughs> I was not happy on 495 at all. So it was, I was due for a change and yeah. I, I applied to... The MFA program um, at the University of Baltimore. Um, and Did you apply anywhere else? Or I just, didn't. Just UB? You know, I was naive. But, I mean, <laughs> in, in, many, in, many, in so many ways. Um, but I applied, I mean, I'll, I'll talk about that too, but I applied there 
And at the same time, I applied it to the um, Baltimore City teaching residency. Oh, uh, okay. And I said, okay, look, you know, whatever I'm supposed to do, mm-hmm. like if, if it's one or the other, I'll go with whatever I got, get into. I got into both. Yeah. <laughs> and so I, I thought it might, you know, I decided, I actually, my first year in grad school was also my first year as a high, a high school teacher at an alternative school. Oh, wow. So it, it was uh, a crucible for real. Yeah. It was, it was intense um, all the time. Um, uh, so, you know, I had, I just say all that to say I had some teaching experience okay. um, from high school before I started teaching um, as an adjunct. Um, what, and, was it, what was it like being in creativity and then also teaching high schoolers? Um, I took that class on a Saturday, oh, wow. <laughs> on a Saturday morning. Um, wow. And it was taught by a guy named John Wilson. So it wasn't it, it, essentially an adjunct. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and the class was, was fun and it was, you know, I got a lot out of it. But I, I felt like I was always behind the eight ball. Um, in terms of uh, what uh, doing the things that would have allowed me to get the most out of that class, yeah. you know, I just always felt like I was behind. Like so, I was trying to, and and because the some of the ideas was that you were doing things habitually, right? Like right. Writing yeah, yeah. every day, or taking these walks, or mm-hmm. smelling things, and so I was often compressing you know oh, all of those things into like a yeah like oh i got it i can't i just this is what i this is what i have right time for i mean that's not to complain you know that's just the um the way it was but i will say um you know sticking with it like just being in just not not throwing up my hands and saying this is too much mm-hmm. um you know kind of allowed me to reimagine what my sort of life and creative rhythms would be okay. you know so it you know it, it it sort of taught me well this is what what it's going to take mm-hmm. like this is you know it you know you right. if you want this if you want this life if you want this you know this this life of being an artist and being a writer and also being a teacher you know then uh you're going to have to reimagine your free time yeah. <laughs> or your laziness or you know right. or your yeah. your, your perchant yep. from for you know uh, ellipses in your own day, <laughs> you know, which is fine, right? Because it's, 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 it, that, that is temporary. Right. Um, but you know, it doesn't feel temporary when you're no. in it. No, I'm, I'm getting there kind of now realizing that. So for me, for the MFA program, like I, I applied to it or applied to the ones that I applied to because after undergrad, uh, I realized that I was at kind of a plateau with my writing that mm. I, there were things that I knew that I I could do and that I needed to do in order for it to get better, but I knew enough of, of myself at the time that I couldn't do it by myself. Because mm-hmm. like I I had a I don't know maybe like six maybe like a half a year if not longer between ending undergrad and then applying to grad school. So I I essentially just went like right into mm-hmm. it. But in that time, like I was uh, um. It was a delivery driver for Papa John's, hmm. but even just doing like oh, that, <laughs> um, no, but it's like but even even just doing that, realizing it's like my like my life is slowly becoming about all this other stuff. That's like if if I'm not essentially forced to make writing and art a part of my life, it's very slowly being eroded away yeah. by just you know being being in life and being yeah. in so I was like well fuck I'm I have to do something about this and then and I'm at that point now and I'm actually 
it always seems that I reach this point right before I decide to go back to school because I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, so I'm have not uh, told a lot of people about this, but I whoever my uh, South Korea listeners and my uh, random Egyptian listener, <laughs> this is for you guys. Um, I'm thinking of going back to school for a PhD. Oh, okay, um, yeah. But I'm like right now I'm working through the whole sort of like I I have a lot of time, but I don't use it because mm-hmm. it's either laziness or just sort of like I, I recognize that I need a lot of kind of unincorporated mental time to just kind of process stuff mm-hmm. but it's it's I very easily get derailed my momentum very easily gets derailed when I'm like okay I'm gonna sit down and watch a couple things on YouTube and then that turns into like I'm done I was like well I've already watched a couple oops I go that looks interesting and then it's my entire night's gone I'm right like, well, like Fuck! I had like four. Hours. I could have done so much in four hours. Sure, sure. And I didn't. Sure. I mean, you did something. You did. There right, was yeah. there was something that yeah. that happened, right? It wasn't just you know you weren't hermetic in that you right. were just like sitting there. Yeah, and it's like know. I've tried to if I if I know that I'm just gonna watch like a bunch of I don't know like a Netflix or play a game or something. I tr- I've been trying now to at least be like analytical in what it is that I'm watching mm-hmm. or. Um, like I, I spent three hours, uh, maybe like two or three weeks ago, watching a, a Netflix documentary called uh, Five Came Back. Five hmm. Who Came Back is about uh, five. Oh, I'll see if I can remember the, the names of them. Um, John Hurston, or he, no, John Houston. Uh, oh crap! I don't know. It was five five directors um, hmm. in like the early '40s that went off to that joined like the war effort against. Um, like the Axis powers, so they were they were like doing like war propaganda films. Yeah, um, and it was just it was like it was a three three episodes. Um, each one was like an hour long, and it dealt with kind of like them before the war, leading up to it, mm-hmm. them in the war, and then after, after the, the war. war. It sounds like three act structure, right? Yeah, <laughs> and it was just it was like one I never knew that they that that was like a part of the war effort, mm-hmm. and then two I didn't realize that when they came back, they did their, like, seminal films. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh... Some noir for John, um... Uh, do you say Houston or Hurston? I forget Hurston. Yeah, Hurston, yeah. yeah. What, yeah, that, whoever, um... So I didn't realize that It's a Wonderful Life. It was mm-hmm. done by mm-hmm. one of the directors mm-hmm. who mm-hmm. Who, went, who did that. Mm-hmm. That was his, like, first or second film after he came back, which was, like, he... And, I've I've seen snippets of it, but I've never watched it all the way through because it you know it's like become that cl- sort of nostalgic staple for Christmas, yeah. and I'm like I, I don't know I I always assumed it was for it some was, people right I wasn't watching it no right yeah for a subset of the of the population yeah, it's right. become like a it's become a Christmas <laughs> thing but I um I always assumed that it was it was a thing it was like yeah. it was a particular thing and then after watching the Netflix documentary it was like oh shit maybe my entire like assumption of this mm-hmm. which should I should have recognized because it's an assumption not based on any sort of objective fact it's like this is probably not true at all and I like the director was um, there was an interview with him about it and he said that in It's a Wonderful Life he was able to I th- maybe it was somebody talking about him, but anyway, it was like that he was able to all of the things that he was trying to hit on and talk about in his other films. Mm-hmm. Essentially, like he was able to do in *It's a Wonderful Life*, and it, it was for him a he was always concerned as him as a person and a director was always concerned of like does his life matter yeah, because sure. he he was a like big director and then he went off to war and was essentially the head of the war propaganda efforts mm-hmm. and then came back 
and nobody remembered him and nobody like knew or cared that that's like they had no no connection to him that that's what he was doing during the war so right. he was like well like does it matter at right. all and then that's it's a wonderful life comes out of it. it's like that entire film is essentially does this one person's life sure who is seemingly inconsequential and is like laden with quotidian and the mundane does his life actually like what is his life worth what is it what does it matter sure so i've been trying to like either find edge it's like if i'm going to spend three hours watching something I'd, I'd like to watch something that'll expand my like my worldview. yeah or just be you know like if i'm if i'm binging um i don't know like adventure time thinking about like what like what is what is it doing and how are like what what's like the craft of it. What's being foreshadowed? A house mm-hmm. being foreshadowed? Mm-hmm. Like what questions is it bringing up? What is it answering? Yeah, it's, it, I think it's those can be good. Or, those can be useful, right? right? Th- those kinds of exercises or the, the, that that kind of way of um, viewing, reading, you know, approaching whatever you're engaging with. Um, but I also think that we, I think at a certain point, um, you know, artists might imagine you might imagine that as wasting time mm-hmm. you know or or i could have done x y and z with that time right um but there's often a latent way in which the time you spent doing that watching adventure time or watching whatever it might be shows up in your art or shows up in your right your thinking or your cre- your creating yeah um later on right mm-hmm. and i think if i think some of that is only um available to us when we're not in right. an analytical mode, right? right? I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, it's a, to let it be in the. I mean, essentially, to be in the subconscious, right? right yeah, um, just, just absorb it and let it let it sit and gestate for a while. Yeah, because and, and and I think essentially because because you know um, uh, it, it's something other than understanding, right? I think the, right. the, the ways in which you like you might be writing something, and uh, even despite your intent um, or your idea for whatever it is you're writing. Um, the moment in which you write something that surprises you as the author, mm-hmm. um, I think, is often a function of those other activities that are coming out. You okay. know, like 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 oh, like that was there. You know, obviously, I had the ability to produce that, right? But it was it was sideways from what I was intending, right? Yeah. And you know, I mean, this is you know, I, I often know um, when I'm working on like a draft, right? A draft or a poem that that is my first fulcrum about when a draft is probably, um, you know, approaching a state where uh, revision will be useful. Mm -hmm. Because if I've written something in the draft that I'm surprised by, Mm -hmm. you know, um, and it might be a line, uh, it might be, you know, a music, a a music to the the way that the, um, you know, that assonance is playing in the, Mm -hmm. you know, in the, in the poem. Um, But, you know, I, Usually when I sit down to write, I'm like, don't stop until right. you have written something um, that surprises you. And that, you know, I don't always think that consciously, but that's my, yeah, that's usually like, my goal. Like, yeah. I'm like, like if, I, if, I've, if I've arrived at that, then I can either get up and do something else. <laughs> I can, you know, eat yeah. <laughs> um, or, or, go, you know, go on about something else. But that also is, you know, um, you know, in some ways the way I judge whether or not I want to um, even enter back into it later okay. uh, and, re- and revive it. So, like, if it doesn't have something, I mean, if I'm bored, like, just all the way bored, I'm just going to write something new. Yeah. I'm just going to start over. You know, so, right. I mean, it, yeah, may, yeah. And it may just be, it, and some of that might show up later, but 
I was like, nah. Yeah. <laughs> so do you do you have a set writing practice? Like, do you do you set aside set aside time every day to sit down and write for a certain amount of time, and then you just you produce something, and then, or is it is it more when you have an idea or something tickling in your head? That yeah. You... I... yeah. <laughs> well, let me let me answer it. In a compartmental way. Okay. It depends on the season. Okay. So in the summer, right, I make that that habit of writing every day um, uh, more, um, just more, I, I don't put it as a, um, um, as a rule. Okay. It's not, it, I'm, I'm just never that strict about it. Right. right. But it's in my thinking more mm-hmm. um, during the summer when I'm not teaching right. um, and, pre- and prepping for class. and let, Because that becomes the rhythm during the semesters right. for me. Is that, you know, what are we reading next? What am I preparing? Do I have something posted? The minutia of all that. Right. right? Um, and so what I, what I make sure that I do in the summer is... Um, it's funny because we were talking about earlier about compression, right? With the, mm-hmm. with the, um, the creativity class. You know, so the summer becomes a more extended set of compression that I want to make sure that I'm doing the writing that I may have put off, okay. you know, during during the year. But but I'm always, you know, I mean, this is this is a bit of a cliche, but I, you know, you, at some point I think you come to realize that you're always writing as mm-hmm. a poet, um, whether or not you're writing something down, um, uh, in that, you know, if I'm not writing, I'm reading, right? Mm-hmm. And those things are so recursive that yep. you know it it is, you know, a part of my. My my process, but I try to you know it's more it's more it's more so like this, you know the weekends I try to make sure I give some intentional time to actual pen to page or or typing you know but you know lately for me because I've been working on a manuscript or you know, revising a, a full length manuscript it's been mostly looking at poems you know old, mm-hmm. old you know poems that were already um, that were you know in various draft stages, um, but yeah so I I just make sure. Um, that, you know, I, I usually don't let a week go okay. without having to get in, you know, get into the, you know, the business of the line or the, or, or writing something new or, or, you know, or any, anything like that. Usually that's, that's my rhythm in, during the semester. Okay. Um, so I let stuff the gestation period is longer, <laughs> you know, and, right. so, and, and often it comes out on the weekends during the summer. It's like get up um you know i find that i used to when i was an undergrad and when i was younger i thought that i would be this um night owl um and then i had kids yes. and there ain't no sleeping in <laughs> there's no sleeping in you know they they are they are morning people um at least now maybe when they're teenagers it'll be different right. yeah but you know i found that that's when i'm most productive for everything like in it could the be in the morning. I mean, it could be in that, and that's where it gets kind of dangerous because I'm like, I'm also most productive for like grading papers, you know, oh, or no. or getting chores done or, mm-hmm. or whatever. And so, if I don't have to get up and go to work that day, I just guard the morning. You know, right. it's like I'm gonna make a pot of coffee, I'm gonna sit down, I'm gonna read, and I'm gonna write, mm-hmm. and you know. You just, you just, <laughs> you know, um, I mean, that is going to be the, the whole of my orbit, you know, mm-hmm. um, because that, that's, that's just when I feel most, most sharp and I'm, and most, um, I think able to see my own writing. I mean, not objectively is not the right word because I don't think you can, um, but, but just either more clearly, mm-hmm. um, or, uh, 
in a fresh way. Right. You know, like, yeah, I mean, yeah. it's like, oh, I hadn't, you know, it, I'm most saying I haven't thought of that before in the mornings. Right. <laughs> At okay. night, I'm only, I'm, I'm just repeating things I already yeah, think. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Okay. All the way down to the bottom of a glass. <laughs> but that, so, so it, there is a kind of, um, you know, what do the, the Catholics call it? Like a um, matins sort of morning prayer idea, you know, okay. um, for it. Um, for me, although it's not necessarily prayer that's going on, but, uh, but oh, that, wow, that makes so the crepuscular for things that are active in the twilight hours is broken out into matutinal and vespertine. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I knew mm-hmm. that vespertine was from the like the Latin like the evening prayer, prayer like vespers, yeah. but mm-hmm. I didn't realize that the mornings were the matin, which yeah. totally makes sense that that's where matutinal comes yeah. from. So, mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, yeah, I mean you're probably familiar with. Louise Gluck's The Wild Iris, and she's got all these, well, maybe not. Yeah, yeah. They've got all these poems that are like Matins, Vespers, Matins, Vespers, uh, they're all named the same. There okay. are like multiple poems with those same names. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they, you know. Um, I I have that collection down, uh, upstairs somewhere. Yeah, yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. It's a, um, yeah, she's pretty, uh, uh, I, I'm not somebody that I, I think I return to often, but, you know, is um, somebody that, you know, like, like I, I think, like you always are looking for, uh, or that many people are. are let me not project that I'm <laughs> that I'm looking for, in that. Oh man, that's really awesome, or that's really cool. The, the way in which they're using language is mm-hmm. e- evocative and and interesting, um, and I'm simultaneously recognizing that I don't write like that. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so it's like I'm, not like that at all. Who? So I've I've developed sort of like a I don't know like a pantheon mm-hmm. of writers. Um, and I actually am just, I saw, was fortunate enough to see Jane Hirschfield read on Yeah, you were Monday. talking about, you, you posted uh, about that, right. So <laughs> I, I, want, I want to gush about this for a little bit, but I, um, so when I was working through my MFA thesis, um, I, I don't know, I'm talking mm-hmm. to the, my computer as if it's the audience, I'll talk to you instead. <laughs> um, when I was working through my MFA thesis, uh, I was reading, actively reading Come Thief, which mm-hmm. I'm holding up right now as if the audience can see it. Um, which is Hirschfield's second most recent collection. I believe yeah. it was published back in like uh, 2000, let's see, 11. So yeah. the her new one that just came out is The Beauty, and she also has a collection of essays, I think called like Tin Windows, mm. um, both of which are phenomenal. But So I was reading through Come Thief, and there was one poem that I was working on that had gone through, I don't know, like six or seven different permutations. Mm-hmm. Like, So I, it was at the... Revision has, has, I've had kind of a sordid history with revision, um, going for, swinging from back in undergrad where I didn't really revise anything at all mm-hmm. to um, being in Kendra Kapelke's class and reading an article written about Rita Dove and her revision mm-hmm. process, mm-hmm. which I now have saved on my computer as a in my Google Drive. She's got all these folders, right? Or she got like these marked folders or something like that. I'm trying oh, to. Oh, I don't remember. It was just I don't remember, but it was mm-hmm. like it was the process of at least one particular poem that mm. you could see like how she was changing mm. things. And, mm. um, cause I, I don't know if I've talked about this before, but, um, the way that I always reviewed up until that point that I viewed revision was a sort of like doctoral process mm-hmm. that it was a, a, um, like what's wrong with like, the poem. Yeah. Like di- diagnosis, yeah. diagnosing yeah. what's wrong with the poem, fixing it, which like I, that felt really, um, like disrespectful to the initial pulse or the impetus of the poem and just like not how I wanted to approach my pieces at all. So it was like, mm-hmm. whatever. And then when I got to the Rita Dove 
article and just like beginning hearing Kendra talk about it and just beginning to think about the process and kind of how I relate to my poetry, mm-hmm. seeing it as a much more like quiet, personal conversation between mm-hmm. this thing. Because like for me, it was it was always like if you had a line that was phenomenal, like you should if you get rid of it, then it's just gone instead mm-hmm. of like, oh, this line is great. It doesn't work for this poem. Yeah. I'm just I'm going to put it somewhere and just keep it because there's a poem that this line is either mm-hmm. going to generate or will fit in. Because, yeah. like, I my poetry was um, very, very... It was very abstract and very tangential. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it wasn't like uh, like Patterson by Will and Carlos Williams mm-hmm. where there's, there's a meandering feel to it, but it's very much rooted in... Like, it feels like you're going for a walk. So yeah. there's very concrete right. things that he's pointing out and right. talking about and... Um, I've only read snippets of it, but if he ever gets to a point where he's like thinking about more more of the internal or the mind mm-hmm. space, it's still always drawn out and like pinned to something physical. Right. Um, no ideas, but in things. Right. right. His yeah. whole his whole yeah, business. Yeah. Right. Uh, so, like I after that revision became a much more like holistic mm-hmm. process. That there were certain for me it was a distilling. And I think that this was drew this very much grew out of um, this, like personally discovering haiku a couple of years mm-hmm. before working on my thesis. Thank you, thanks to Aishin Hutchinson, because mm-hmm. um, I was I was in a class of his and I was getting a lot of feedback that again that my poetry was very tangential mm-hmm. or very. Um, yeah, I think abstract. we were in that class together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it was the poetry mm-hmm. memoir class. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I had a meeting with him and he was you know like I had submitted some stuff to, to him and he had given me some similar feedback that mm-hmm. it was very much like very like image based but not concrete images mm-hmm. it's like more sort of the impressions of these mm-hmm. things and he's like you one you should check out Beidou's oh, yeah. um, Notes from the City on the Sun mm-hmm. which is essentially like hybridized haiku almost yeah. it's like he's he's doing yeah. the same work that a haiku does and yeah. then he was like you know if you can find other image stuff and I, I had a collection of haiku that I'd never read and I was like well from what I know about them they're small imagistic poems so I'll check it out. And yeah. that fundamentally, like that, <laughs> that one thing, yeah. like the two, the two major periods of my, I guess three major periods of my poetry, that one, like that has been the second and the most significant of like, that's yeah. that major shift. So, but like Paul on the road to Damascus, right? right. Yeah. Just that boom like, struck the like, line. People who are writing poems the way that I want to write poems. And I was like, what? Yeah. Which totally makes sense that there's a, um, like, I, I don't, I don't mean to co-opt or try to mm-hmm. like colonize another culture, but there's so much in um, like Japanese art aesthetics and mm-hmm. the cultural aesthetics, which I think is probably because a good chunk of them are rooted in um, Zen Buddhism. Mm-hmm. It's like, I mm-hmm. totally, yeah. I think that I was internally calibrated to be a Zen Buddhist. Okay. Like, there's so much, yeah. it's like, that makes so much more sense than the stuff that I use. But anyway, so yeah. my revision process now is that I try to take the poem and figure out whatever like the core image or the core feeling of that is and distill, distill it down to that. So any, mm-hmm. any aspect of the poem that doesn't lend itself to that mm-hmm. goes. Yeah. But will be saved if it's, if it's a good image or good something. And then from that point, once I have that sort of solidified, like this is what this poem wants to be or is trying to be, then I kind of build it back up. So this yeah. this one, all I have to say that this one particular poem went through like seven or eight changes. Yeah. Um, and I was reading through Come Thief, and there was, which I'm trying to find again because I forgot what it was, but there was one poem in this collection that, like reading it 
shifted something in me and was like, oh shit, this is the way through this poem. Yeah. And then that, like, that eased the rest of the transition. So I was, I've been wanting to give her a collection of my thesis just as sort of like a token of gratitude. It's sure. like, you know, you, your words helped me help this collection come together. Um, so on Monday, after her reading, she was signing things and I, I went up to her and I was like, I know that this is probably a little against protocol, but would you, would you, um, would it be okay if I gave you a book? And she's like, I would love for you to give me a book. So, yeah. <laughs> so I gave her my, but anyway, yes. so she's, Hirschfield's up in my pantheon. Uh, Mary Oliver is, yeah. um, Charles Wright is yeah. deaf. Like I'm starting to lean more towards, it used to be more like Oliver Hirschfield and now it's leaning more towards yeah. Mr. Wright. Um, but Bay Dow's up there. Um, I, you Lee know, Young but, Lee. Yeah, of course. Uh, Persimmons, you know, from Rose is probably a, you know, a poem I read once a year. Um, I mean, Lee Young Lee is, I, I mean, I, I couldn't say enough about him in terms of how, um, you know, he manages to be simultaneously, like, um, laser insightful mm -hmm. about um, a particular moment or a relationship or a, you know, a, a twist. But it is, um, it, it is never... You never get the sense that he's up on his soapbox. No, you know at at, at all. You know, like, I mean, he's, he's, even if he leans that way, you yeah. Know, it's, but it's like his poems are so, like, almost ludicrously personal. Oh yeah, completely uh, intimate, right? Like, yeah. I mean, there, there's. I mean, even when he's not even talking about him and his wife or him and his father. It's yeah, like, it was like so. One of in in Meredith's uh, bookmaking class, we. Um, like the first project was to, to do 10, 10 editions of someone else someone else's poem, and mm. I chose "Have You Prayed" by Lee Young Lee, which mm -hmm. is by far one of my favorites of his. Yeah, the father is asking him, or yeah. the, the speaker or the son. Yeah, in the, that poem, yeah, right? the wind with, yeah. The, before, with my father's voice. Yeah, um, and there's a I will I'll post this again just because I, I love it. But there's a um, there's a recording of him uh, on poetry.com mm. of him reading yeah. it, mm. um, and he like. I, I didn't realize until hearing that that he gives commas, periods, um, line breaks, and stanza mm -hmm. breaks each a unit of breath. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the poem is relative. It's like a maybe a page and a quarter, but it takes him like three minutes to read it because it's so like dripping with time mm -hmm. and like just mm -hmm. internal, just sort of. And it's it's amazing. I'm telling you, time is time is out there. Yeah. <laughs> Consuming everything. Yeah. Like, um, but you know, it's it's funny because I was gonna say that. Um, well, two things. One, uh, when I was in my first year in the MFA program, um, I read a an essay. Uh, no, no, no. It wasn't an essay. It was an interview with uh, that with Lee Young Lee. Ooh. And he was talking about, and I, I could not, you know, it would, it would, it would be like Alice in Wonderland trying to find, <laughs> find, find what it is. But he talks. Someone asks him a question, and in in his response, he talks about this idea of the word, um, uh, kind of in a, uh, you know, um, in that so sore sort of uh, way in which uh, a word has a referent and it has a. Um, you know, signifier and the signified makes a sign, all that business, right? Mm -hmm. um, but he, he essentially says some people think that the word doesn't refer to anything, right? So that, you know, like the, or the reference are arbitrary. Um, so tree doesn't actually refer to tree. It could be like 
you know, blog instead of and mean that thing that's growing outside, right? Um, but what he says is, I don't. I, I think the opposite of that. He says, I think that words are endlessly referential; that they end up they end up being this daisy chain of tree refers to this, but that refers to that, uh-huh. on and so on and so forth, right? Mm-hmm. Um, in this sort of, you know, infinite you know, dance macabre almost, like, right. you know, like, yeah, you yeah. know, uh, just kind of circling around one another. And, and that, that I think, not that I could even parse out exactly what he, mean, <laughs> what he means by that, but I always found, I found that uh, really helpful and really useful um, and, and the way it shaped my relationship to language, right? Mm-hmm. Because it, it diffused this idea of, well, what I'm searching for is the right word this like exactness this uh-huh. as if there were this objective like if you only found in, in a like in a thesaurus right like poem is the source if you only found the right words right. to plug in yeah, yeah. then the then the poem would somehow pop up like a you know like a children's book yeah, yeah. Uh, you know and that it, it, it diffused all that right because so what i what i was in search for is is more more not this sort of certitude of the word but the way in which the word is in this dance of reference to other words, right? So like I'm, you know, so okay. th- that becomes like the the current or the you know the movement um, uh, when I'm when I'm thinking about what I mean, in, a, in, in essentially, you know, that it, it is parallel with the sort of current of euphony, right? That mm-hmm. it, you know, I'm thinking about how I make decisions about what goes and what stays in a poem, or how I even draft, how, how I'm in, in that generative way, right? Right. And it's it's like those two things, those two pressures happening at the same time. Like, what's wow. the daisy chain of reference? Um, and then what's the um, sort of, um, you know, push of euphony, you mm-hmm. know? Um, and, are those, you know, when you're writing, are those conscious things or those internalized it's like you you feel them and you know you know what the pressure is but you're not sitting there like thinking as you're writing this thing that's like this word's going to connect to this word going to connect to that word yeah they're completely internalized okay Um, well i shouldn't say completely like i in in the physical act of typing or writing or you know scratching on the Mm -hmm. page uh, no i'm not thinking that right? right because my you know but they they are underpinning what i'm um what i'm doing because i have thought about Right. How I make poems yes. as mm-hmm. I'm looking at, you know, failure. Like, why isn't, why is this damn poem doing what I want it to do? You know, or why isn't it moving or what, what, why am I not able to, um, you know, get at something mm-hmm. that feels vibrant, right? right. It's like, like, well, I haven't gotten to, I haven't surprised myself yet. Like, like right. what, what's there? You know, yeah, I mean, I, cause I would say, um, you know, I want to be careful because I don't want you to think that somehow I am, I have this intention, like, like I, 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 right, I mean, right, right, almost right. like very, very, um, purposefully, um, I, I would say that intentions don't matter. Um, that I rarely have an idea for a poem and then I'm trying to actualize that idea into right. something, you know, um, you know, I, you know, I, I, there are a fair amount of poems um, where my father shows up mm-hmm. um, in the poem. You know, but it's rare that I sit down to write a father poem. It right. just yeah, ends up so being it ends just, up being yeah, that. You know? yeah, yeah. <laughs> and there was a moment. You know, there was a moment when in my uh, so it, uh, that's a rabbit trail, but I'll, I'll say it in a second. 
Um, but yeah, there there is a way in which I've spent. I just tried to spend time thinking about what do I what do I do? What what are what's available to me mm-hmm. um, in in the writing process? And then and then I just go and, and try it. Right. You know? Yeah. Um, so it's so it's seems that the like the maybe not the rules but like the pressures that you feel the internal pressures or the tensions that you feel don't aren't the arbiters of like what you write about but more so it's like because you've internalized them to a to a particular point they're the arbiters of like how the poems kind of manifest it's like Mm -hmm. the the storytelling, not yeah. not it's they don't choose the story, but they they choose the mode that you tell the story. Yes, exactly. Okay. And, that, and and to be honest, that's probably what I'm more concerned with. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, you know, well, I, I shouldn't say that. It, it's it, it's synthesized, right? Right. Um, but I am I am of the mind that you can have the the most important thing to say, mm-hmm. um, relevant, um, poignant. You know, something that that for lack of a better term matters Mm -hmm. and if you can't find a way to make it sing you know if you can't make it find a way to make it dance on that page um ain't nobody gonna care right you know Mm -hmm. um and and maybe that maybe you're not concerned with that but you know it it, i think you know i'm not saying like you gotta be writing for other people but i think eventually you won't care either right you know you you will return to it and be like well, like, why, the fuck did, why I did I write that? Yeah, yeah, why yeah. do I sound? You know, this is this is stupid, and 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 I think, and often you may be confronted with the fact that you're just saying something that someone else has already said, right? Mm-hmm. Which is always going to be true, right. <laughs> you know. Like, there, you know, if you think you're writing something new, uh, you may be writing something new, but in, in terms of content, you know, right? But you know, there's a good chance that someone has said something very similar, right? Um, you know, so I tend to focus on well, how, what are the ways in which the experience of the poem, right, which is which is all about the discourse, the mm-hmm. the way in which it's being told, way it's being, it's it's moving, right? Mm-hmm. How can that be something that, whether or not it feels familiar, still feels powerful, or right. still feels true, is still, yeah. you know, it, you know, feels wor- like worth, yeah. <laughs> you know, worth I think, something. I think that that probably gets to, and I've I've seen a couple of articles and skimmed them and not if not spent as much time with them as I probably should have that the whole idea of the maybe the push nowadays in like contemporary MFA teaching for like the voice mm-hmm. of the poet um, which because I, I I agree with what you said that you know you're not content wise you're probably not writing things that are that are new but like the ways that you're telling them are just the the fact that they're filtered through you it's like that's new it's like no mm-hmm. one has no one has seen your side of stuff before and i think that that's part of the the um like how to make them vital is not like don't don't try to write necessarily like the truth or don't try to write the thing the thing that's familiar it's like yeah. write it write it how you see it which is so i've i've been and write it well right yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I mean that's the uh, you know Kind of what I'm getting at is that right, you, yeah. you, you, like you need you, ha- you need to have all the tools that you're available and have them polished and sharp in yeah. order for that to, to come out. Um, but I've actually it's like that, that kind of hits on. Um, so I have I have a working theory that I don't I don't know what I'm gonna do with it, but um, I've talked to some friends about it. Like Anthony and mm-hmm. I have, have mm-hmm. had a couple of discussions. Anthony Mall, who was my yeah. first guest, but and a dear um, friend. Yes, yeah. Yeah. yeah, he's a tremendous tremendous person and poet and whatever. But um, I have a working theory that there is no such thing as bad poetry. 
and by extension, no mm-hmm. such thing as good poetry, and then by extension, no such thing as like good or bad art. Yeah. Because, and this, so this is where like Anthony and I were discussing this, mm-hmm. and I, I think that we arrived at the same place, but we were is like the terminology was a little bit different. Mm-hmm. That for me, like in my experience, most of the time that I've read a bad poem, it's either super super sentimental, or, like mm-hmm. very heavily. Right. Tapping into emotions that are not unearned in the piece itself, mm-hmm. um, using very familiar cliched language, yep. or, or, or presenting um, images or ideas in in the ways that they have been presented. So it's like mm-hmm. no no personal flavor. It's just sort right. of like cookie cut or whatever. Um, or it, it is heavily biting of someone else's voice or someone mm-hmm. else's style. So all of these things lend, I think, lend themselves to quote-unquote bad poetry which for me is just like ineffective and mm-hmm. not mm-hmm. not constructed well enough and not communicated well enough to get their point of whatever like the emotional center or whatever the the core of this poetry across mm-hmm. is and that for me was the way of thinking about um like in if in in the event and if i become a teacher and thinking of like mm-hmm. teaching creative writing classes and something and thinking about like my relationship to poetry um, and just art kind of in general that for me it's because it's by necessity subjective because it's based upon someone's personal experiences mm-hmm. or just their feelings or whatever mm-hmm. um, you can't there's no idealized thing that these things can be measured up against or yeah. like and that to me is like if good and bad for me registers that there is some some idealized or perfect thing that there is right. all these other things are being judged against yeah you, but, would, you would need like the perfectly made poem, right? To, so, uh, against which to judge it. Yeah. Right? So in in that sense, like things that are f- like formed writing, so like mm-hmm. uh, sonnets or villanelles or mm-hmm. fibs or even haiku. For me, it's like yeah, you can you can begin to judge these things as like this is a good this is a good sonnet because it follows and then but you have to mm-hmm. qualify it as like because it follows these rules and like fits mm-hmm. like an ode is supposed to be a particular like form of a poem. Or it's written in a particular form, or it does certain like it moves in certain ways. It's like okay, I can I can judge this as like this isn't a this is a good effective ode because it mm-hmm. like it's good because it does these things and sure, effective sure. because it is written yeah. like written well. Um, but I think that all like all of what you were saying lends for me lends itself. It's like it's it's not a question of it's if it's a good or a bad thing. It's a question of like how effective is it at conveying like the the impetus or whatever like the point of the yeah it, it's tough though you know like oh, so let, i'll say a few things i've had these discussions with both anthony and other people okay. too um yeah i'm interested but, to have your take on yeah, it yeah so i i tend to fall i, st- I tend to begin with a distinction okay right? and that um you we should that i i separate poetry from the poem okay, okay. so that there is there is this thing that is conceptual which is poetry, right? Mm-hmm. And, and that we see out and experience in the world every day. We, you know, we're uh, we're watching a football game. Somebody makes an amazing catch. We we respond as if we're we're you know poetry. interacting with poetry. Yeah. And we and you can see it in the sort of cliche of language, poetry in motion. Right, right, right. You know, we go to the ballet and we we resort to that kind of language, right? Or we we may be accessing that kind of language. Um, and so I think in 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 so much in so much that poetry might be defined as a way of seeing, right? A way of seeing the world, right? Okay. Then it makes sense to me that you, that it is, isn't, it isn't useful to judge 
whether or not someone's way of seeing the world is good or bad. Mm -hmm. You know, like, or, you know, like you might say, like, I have this intense need to say something, Mm -hmm. right? And to say that your need to say it is bad is bonkers. Like, you know, like, like, what, like, no, right? Mm -hmm. Um, But the poem is a crafted thing. It's a tangible thing, right? Okay. And if we, if you accept, at least on some level, that it is crafted, Mm -hmm. um, then you can have a conversation about whether or not it's crafted well, or yes. poorly, you know, yes. with, without, with even, I think even without some kind of universal, uh, referent or, or objective, right? Right. Because, yeah. because I think here's the, here's the issue, right? Even though, even if we accept a kind of diffuse, there isn't like good or bad poems, we don't act that way in our reading. No, exactly. <laughs> yeah. you know, we, we return to some things and we don't return to other things and whether or not we want to consider what's behind that you know i think at least it's worth thinking about whether or not it's made well i'll, I'll say i'll say oh, one yeah, more thing no, I'll, yes. I'll, let, me, let me say one, okay. one more thing about that because i think the way that in a very sort of colloquial way um you know you're saying if you take that position to its logical extreme then the dude on the corner who's just railing um, and just ev- evoking, emoting, right, is a better poet, <laughs> you know, like, you know, because, but, but you don't often, you know, maybe some people do, that's not my, that's not my practice, right, and that's, there's no judgment there, but, you know, if you're not sort of setting up your chair, you know, getting your coffee, putting it on the corner to listen to this person speak, not to, not, you know, separate the person, the person is worthy right. in itself, but to just to hear that act, mm-hmm. that art act, right, um, then you're already making cert- certain kinds of judgments. Right. Um, and they may not, you know, maybe they're not moral ones. Maybe that's an uncomfortable way, you know, when we start talking about good or bad. But mm-hmm. you're, making, you're making decisions about what you want to hear that, right. that are out of your subjectivity, yes, but I think that are also based in, you know, uh, you know, our... our in other words, I think it, it you know, because I, I almost said our, in, our, in our response to beauty, you know, in that sort of, right. uh, who, is it Keats that's like beauty is truth? Yeah. Um, in, in, in that in that idea, right? Mm-hmm. But but it's, it, I think it's also out of this sense that, um, that, that the poem, because you, you, know, you know, sometimes people will say things like, well, I don't read poetry because I don't understand it. Right. right. Oh, yeah. You know, all the time. But yes. I think, you know, I was talking to my friend Sharif Shanahan, who read at UB just recently, who I know from Coffee Conum, and we were talking, and he was like, you know, poems, poems can affect the audience before they're understood. Um, mm-hmm. I think, and plays do this too, right? Yeah. You know, um, oh, going, yeah. going to see something like yeah. like Beckett, like we were talking about earlier, right? You can you can recognize yeah, that you're being affected by the, the experience part before you understand it, oh, right? Yeah. And so I think it is. It is out of that um, idea that we are we are engaging with something that um, you know allows us maybe on a subconscious level to recognize um, something that's crafted well. Right. You know? Yes. And I I, w- I have so two things. I I have no no problem with the designation the designation that like. Like a poem as a crafted thing is subject to the rules of like the critiques of like is you know because like I mean I I work at a um a cabinet shop so yeah, I'm yeah. I'm I know when things are like a cabinet or something put together it's like I right. know when this is put together well and I know is I know that table time. wobbly or is right. it stand straight yeah. you know is it stand straight and I I think for me I think for me like trying trying to get to this distinction at least for me personally it was a way to like 
because I, I feel one to like open up a conversation about it because I feel like there's a tendency of people when they see something they judge it as either good or bad it's like mm-hmm. that's the end of the conversation right. it's like there's no there's no more engagement or no more I don't know like thought given to yeah. the thing that is bad and yeah, if it's you, a shortcut right yeah and it's like mm-hmm. if you can so if you if you go through this route it's like oh this thing is bad why is it bad oh it's not crafted well it's not you know it's like there's a lot of language in here that feels familiar or if we're speaking about poetry then you can begin to it's like well then how are those things potentially addressed which mm-hmm. gets you into you know a like a thoughtful sort of stance of sitting with something and trying to to figure out like what's like what about it is is the thing that's like mm-hmm. So that, that for me is, like, if, and I, I definitely also agree that it's like most people don't react that way. It's like if you're reading, because, I mean, I've, mm-hmm. I was with, um, oh, I was at Barnes and Nobles and I, I came across, and this has happened to me on a couple of different occasions, um, where it's like you come across, like, poetry books and you flip through them and you're like, this is, this is crap. Like, this mm-hmm. is, this is terrible. And it hurts me as a mm-hmm. consumer, both a consumer and producer of poetry. Mm-hmm. And there is that initial sort of like I I have to put this up, and then finding that there's a little bit of like like why why does why is this so much of an anathema to mm-hmm. me looking at this right now? And that for me is beginning to get to the like for me mm-hmm. it's it's a way to open up a conversation about something yeah. that is usually sort of just like short like you said short shortcutted or short circuited to well this is bad I'm just I'm not gonna deal with it, and then the whole. Um, the whole idea of being affected by things that you don't understand, I can personally attest to that to seeing waiting for Godot mm-hmm. at like midnight on a Sunday and just sitting there and watching this play and not knowing what the hell is going on, not understanding it, but feeling it on some sort of like mm-hmm. not, not as far down as primordial level, but yeah. pretty close to that where you just like, there are things happening here that are working their way in and like addressing some like big things that I will probably be coming to. Like you get, it's almost like a, um, like if you're playing a video game where there's like fog of war and mm-hmm. you get something happens, it's like you see like a, I don't know, a, your objective somewhere off on the mm-hmm. map. It's like suddenly it flares up and you can see a path and it goes yeah. dark. You're like, Oh, something's happening up there right. and I'm going to get to eventually. But right, right now I'm still slogging through the like, yeah. I, I mean, there's, there's a way in which I think, I mean, there's, there's, I sometimes talk to students about um, two kinds of ambiguity in, mm-hmm. a, in a poem, and in, in, really, in, in a, although not to not to step on Epson's seven types of <laughs> ambiguity, but <laughs> what, what I simply mean is that you can have the type of ambiguity that is um, just simply. Uh, you know that that leaves you just in a complete state of confusion. Mm-hmm. You know, and um, there's a type of ambiguity where what you are entering into is multiple meanings. Yes. You know, and your your mm-hmm. the, the tension is between well, which which can they be? And sometimes that's the pleasure of right. of considering like what can can those be? It's but, like a it's like a quantum state. That yeah. Suddenly, it's suddenly something that you thought was one thing opens up to there's a bunch yeah. of different things, and it leaves you in a state of like I don't. Yeah, yeah, I almost yeah. not don't want to choose because of as soon as I attach one meaning to this, all the other ones like vanish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they they are they are you know the pleasure of not privileging one meaning over the other, right? right? Um, but that's distinct from you know from a complete sort of like that. Oh, I yeah. don't. It it does not. E- it doesn't even make enough sense for me to try to make sense of it. Right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, and I what I think you know is that one of those ambiguities leaves you feeling robbed. 
you know, as if mm -hmm. something was, was, you, Take, you, you took my yeah. time, you took my, you know, uh, you know, there's a, a dissonance between my expectation and this and other one, the other one leaves you enriched, yeah. you know, and, and both are perhaps lacking understanding, yeah. but one makes you want to attempt the work of understanding right. and, and the other is like, and I, <laughs> I, I feel like, so I, I read uh, Ben Lerner's Hatred of Poetry yeah. a while ago, and I'm, I don't know if I necessarily agree with all of his points. Mm. And I, I think that there may have been, like kind of what we're talking about might attach itself to one of his theories that like poetry is seemingly the sort of innate sort of like state that everyone, everyone should be able to access that not everyone can, or at least it's presented as a, as a thing that everyone should be able to access this mm -hmm. state. And I think that, and also with the whole ambiguity, the one that leaves you confused and feeling robbed, that there's a level of like either resentment or shame or some melding of those where mm -hmm. you, you don't, you feel like, Oh, if I'm smarter, I'm a smart I, person. Why don't I get it? Right. Yeah. yeah it's like, <laughs> if I, if I was smarter then I would mm -hmm. understand this mm -hmm. and that, or that sort of like, a almost like the the writer the writer knows this thing and is writing it almost close enough that you can like and i, I don't i dislike bringing him up because of his his stances and policies and stuff but like lovecraft with mm -hmm. um like his eldritch horrors okay he writes to the place where it's like you even though he doesn't give you what they are he leaves your imagination to run wild with like what the mm -hmm. fuck is the possibility with this right. um and i feel like other authors, like when I'm approached, when I'm given something that I fundamentally don't understand that leaves me confused, I feel like there is, like the writer almost gets to that point, but doesn't. Keep something, mm -hmm. like some key piece of information back that is either like, well, if you were smarter, you could figure this out. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, like, I'm just going to lord this over you that I have some little like bit of information that you don't. Yeah. Um, and I think that, I feel like people probably approach poetry as a whole like that, that mm -hmm. it's it's written in some way that is beyond this level of understanding that fills them or it gives them like resentment yeah. or shame that mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. like if I understood it knew if I knew more or if I knew whatever if it was smarter or more cultured or more mm -hmm. sensitive or more whatever that's like I could I can understand this and I don't know I I feel in my experience that there have definitely been poems that I've read that I don't understand that again kind of the the double thing it's like mm -hmm. some of them are just so dense and just like I don't. I don't under I don't. It's like what what in other ones like Hirschfield has a mm. lot of them where it's like I don't. I'm beginning to touch the understanding of them, but I I recognize that there's a much greater room in there, and it's yeah. not it's inviting, it's enticing, it's like come like spend some time in this mental space and think yeah. about this like whatever it is that I'm equating to this other thing. Yeah, it's the, it, it just I always find it so fascinating because it's the only it's one of the only I mean this I guess this happens to. A large degree with abstract art yes but i think it's right we we often don't approach other art forms that way yeah you know i i can go to see the nutcracker mm -hmm. right and and not have any understanding of the plot you know i might be thinking well what are all these what's this rat king <laughs> doing you know right, why, yeah. why, why is this even if i had zero background reference for that right i could watch and recognize this beautiful yeah movement yeah right Without being able to say, oh, well, that's Ron Dijama attitude, or that's that's a pirouette, or having any, I, I could have absent the Lexus of, of ballet, yeah. and absent the experience of being a dancer, right? So, you know, I think poems, when they're, but I could also recognize when someone did a movement, 
that seem like a mistake. Right. You know, without yeah. having any knowledge, right? Yep. So, so what? How, how am I able to do that, right? Mm-hmm. There, there's something that, you know, is at work mm-hmm. that I think is similar in poetry, right? That oh, we yeah. can have that same, I mean, it, we can experience the same way that we experience music for the first time, yeah. even if we're tone well, deaf. I, I watched, you know? I, speaking of Anthony again, um, I went to, oh God, this is maybe like a year or so ago, we uh, went to a um, opera at the Lyric. It was mm-hmm. a Mozart mm-hmm. opera written in either, assuming either German, probably German, um, because that would make the most sense. Right, right. But like you know, the, even though they had like the the scroll, mm-hmm. the scrawl up top, like the superscript of what they were saying, like most of the time I just watched them. Mm-hmm. And you know, I don't I don't speak German. I don't understand like really what the plot was happening. But one, I was able to pick up some like plot points. At least who was like mm-hmm. you know like based on color cues and like musical tones and yeah. stuff is like oh this this guy's the villain. But it was just like like the Nutcracker experience mm-hmm. like it was an enjoyable experience because there, like I could recognize these things or like the talent that it took to do these things or just there are other aspects of this work that I could, I could attach myself to and I could enter into the space and then kind of like suspension of disbelief. I could just let myself like be there. And I've, I've often found that non-poet friends of mine usually offer the best critiques of my poems Mm -hmm. because like when you don't have that language or you don't really know what's supposed to what's supposed to be going on i feel like it, it allows you to be in this space where you can like you can see everything and it's, mm-hmm. if something's not working it's very glaringly not yeah. working yeah um yeah it's not it's not making whatever um you know whatever that human connection yeah. is it's not it's not occurring yeah um and I mean, I think the danger. I think here's the danger. The danger is in saying that there's only particular ways in which those connections can be made. Right. Right. Um, but to somehow uh, suggest that those connections don't matter, I think is 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 most often. It's not always right. But if I had to guess, it's most often a preemptive defense from c- critique. Right. You know, like you can't. You know, don't get at me. There's no way you can tell me about my poetry. It's unjudgeable. You know, and that's fine. You know, and, and it's and if you want to approach your work that way, that's all well and good. But, you know, I'm interested at pushing not the boundaries in terms of experiment, but but what am I capable of? Right. right? Yeah. You know, and what can I be open to? How can I expand? Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I, you know, the one thing I often tell myself um, when I'm working on a poem is if it's not working, I just haven't found the language yet. I haven't mm-hmm. found the diction for it. I haven't found whatever it is. That needs to work, mm-hmm. um, and my go, you know, often my go-to way of addressing that is to read other poems or to read novels, right? Because they give me access to a different, mm-hmm. you know, like set, you right. know, of language that the author is working within mm-hmm. that might, in turn, reinvigorate my own. You know, so Brodsky, Brodsky's going to say, Joseph Brodsky, a Russian poet, is going to say that every um, every age of literature is an age of translation. Um, and so he, he, what he's saying is that translation re, reinvigorates um, the language in which that new work is being brought into. So, you know, I mean, oh. I mean, think about the influence that, you know, beyond sort of religion, right? The mm-hmm. influence of the King James Bible, that, that, that Lexus, right? right. Uh, of people, you know, translating from Greek, you know, and Aramaic and, and Hebrew, right? In, mm-hmm. Into English and what that does for the rhetoric of like Milton, you know, right. yeah. <laughs> you know, or, or right. somebody like, like that. And so, you know, it's, you know, there, there's a funny back and forth between, I'm not going to remember who the other 
uh, person was, but it was Ilya Kaminsky and another guy talking about translation. And, you know, uh, you know, Kaminsky, who is a, um, Ilya Kaminsky is deaf, and he is a Ukrainian-American um, poet mm. who I really love. He's got a great book called Dancing in Odessa. Um, highly recommend it. Big influence on me. Um, uh, but, you know, he said that we always talk about what is lost in translation and not what's gained. Mm. Um, and, you know, he goes as far in that little discussion. I think it might be in, through the Poetry Foundation. He says, you know, there are some Russian poets who are better in English than they are in <laughs> Russian. <laughs> and, and the other guy, the other guy sort of concedes the point. He's like, well, you know, Ilya, who's a bilingual, uh, you know, uh, poet, can make that argument. Right. <laughs> like he, had, he has like no no counter argument to that. But so I so what I, what I'm the point I really want to make is that reading then is also an act of translation, and that you are you are entering into the lexis and the the the, the use of language of another author, um, and that can be. Um, you know, can enter into your idiom and language and reinvigorate it and, 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 and make it vibrant, you know. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so I, 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 and I don't, and I don't get concerned with any thoughts about, well, am I going to be infected by somebody else's voice? Right. Yeah. You know, I just, I just think, well, even if I would be, have that sort of like, you know, um, infection, uh, the result is, is going to be me. Like right. I can't, I can't imitate fully. Right. You know, I mean, otherwise I would be that. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know, you, you know that person. You know, so I mean, I mean, I have, I have like a bunch of associative. I can be a bit discursive when I get into that that sort of business, but, um, you know, I think it's it's you know important to think about how we are translating other art experiences mm -hmm. into into our work. Yeah. Um, and uh, if you're not open, I mean, so I think the only way that you or one of the ways that you that can be useful, mm -hmm. right, has to begin with a state of openness. And, you, know, oh, yeah. you know, so you have to be willing to think that I don't, you know, that there's something more, you know, that I, that I can I can push what what I'm capable of. I can I can you know make the line do some more interesting things. You know, Chris Abani is a teacher of mine. He's a Nigerian uh, writer. Writes everything, essays. Probably best known for fiction, but he's he's a damn good poet. Mm -hmm. Um, and he would talk about the line as a unit. Mm -hmm. And he's like, look, the line, um, as distinct from the sentence, works this way. The sentence is a unit of meaning. Complete thought. Subject, mm -hmm. verb, object, right? But the line is a unit of possibility. So when you get to the end, you don't dead end the line the way that a period does right. to complete the thought. It should open up. Like we were talking about multiple meanings, right, like right, these right. layers, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. So the, the, the end of a line should explode out in meaning. Right, and it should be like this open wound of meaning, um, rather than this closed, you know, sort of completeness. Um, wow. Uh, and so that's so it's often, you know, something like that, right? That I am trying to work with, just even on the level of syntax and, and the level of, level of lineation. But you can't, you know, it is anti that idea. If you think like that, that's that's pretty cool. It's antithetical to this idea of well. Nobody can tell me how to revise. Nobody right. can, you know, like I'm not, you know, I have my thing I want to say. Yeah. And I'm, I am so desperate off, or, or I, I shouldn't say, you know, me, but it often feels like people are so desperate to be understood or so mm -hmm. worried, you know, that, you know, what is possible mm -hmm. um, becomes, for them, becomes myopic. Right. And then it's just like, well, as long as I, as long as I fulfill my intention, mm -hmm. then I'm good. Right. And I'm like, well, 
you know, to be honest, your intentions don't, <laughs> you know, could, you know, so I, so I, I, I just don't buy it. You right. know, I, I'm like, you can, you can, you can say, you know, people can say like, well, my intention was to confuse you. Well, fine, I'm confused, but I'm never reading that poem again. Right. <laughs> <Yeah>. You know, <laughs> like, I mean, good, good, good on you. You yeah. know, like, I'm, you know, so I, 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 I'm, I am much more interested, I think, in, um, in the way in which the line in the poem as a whole is exploration yeah and not and not some kind of fixed point yeah you know um not to do i know i'm quoting a lot of people but um there's an essay by a guy named uh, an art uh, poet and critic carl shapiro um and it's in an anthology of essays called a poet's work um, there's a great one in there by by Osa Mendelstam too, where he says that poets sow wheat in the ether. You know, and I'm like, oh, I, I love it. <laughs> it's the, it, it, I mean, it is. I mean, it, 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 for him, the essay is a long okay. haul, right? Yeah. Right. Uh, but it's like the end of his the end of his uh, wow. his, his his essay. Um, but in that same book, Carl Shapiro has an uh, uh, an essay where he talks about the relationship. It's not only this, but he talks about the relationship between philosophy and poetry and what he says is that um philosophy takes an experience um a lived experience and mm -hmm. abs and abstracts it into an idea you know so you you have this interpersonal inter interaction it becomes about what is love what's the nature of love what's the nature of whatever right um he says but the poem moves the opposite way that the poem oh. doesn't abstract the experience it incarnates the experience right. so if you think of philosophy moving up into the stratosphere you know, he says poems have to remain close to the earth. So that experience should feel that much more real, more real than the actual right. thing you lived yep. or experienced in in the reading of the poem. So yeah. it's this like, not only concentration, wow. but this other sort of thing, right? So, you know, you know he, so, so, I'm, so I'm interested, you know, I think the depths of that, um, uh, about how much you can make a poem incarnated experience, mm -hmm. Um, is uh, infinite. Yeah. Like so, there, there's no there's no limit to it. So you're digging. You're you're like you you can keep digging in closer and closer and closer to the earth in in, in many ways, um, in that in that sort of metaphor. But um, you know, it, you know, and so often what I'm doing is sort of abandoning. You know, like I get to a certain point, and I'm like, I, you know, you're like I, I, I the poem. It, Who's to say if it's done? Right. But but I've, I've got to abandon the yeah, day. Like, you know, like, you know, I mean, it, and, and, you know, it makes me think of Seamus Heaney talking about in his poem, Dick, and he was like, I'll, you know, this oh, yeah. swap pen, I'll dig with this, you know, um, idea, I think is very, very literally after that same hmm. sort of business is how, how the poem can be, um, you know, more real than, than yeah. reality, you know? Which and, is like a weird, like that, that whole idea of like the kind of inverted... Like the big, the big, the huge, like exp stratospheric idea experience being drawn down into that that point reminds me of um, I think like the best way that I've heard haiku, like the the process of a haiku described mm -hmm. that um, is essentially, and I've I've written which a little bit of a pre tangent of the mm -hmm. idea of like I've seen a lot of haiku like haiku that are not. I would not deem haiku. And yeah. just thinking about, like, is there a way that other poems, that they have a heart of the haiku, it's like they're doing the same work, mm -hmm. like, essentially, the essential work that a haiku is doing, can you, like, are they written with the heart of, like, what is, is the haiku just a particular thing in, like, in this structure, or is it, like, poetry, that it can be kind of like a state of existence? But mm -hmm. anyway, 
So the way that I've heard it described, which is um, that I've come across the best way, is that like the poet experiences has an has an experience or goes through an experience that draws up feelings. It's like mm-hmm. they they emote something, but they recognize that it would be almost impossible to convey the emotion properly because mm-hmm. you know it's like it exists in some space beyond words or beyond you know it's like it's just, it's the pure mm-hmm. pure emotion or pure feeling. So instead, they present in the most distilled and essential form the experience that they had mm-hmm. in the hopes that when someone else reads it like that they've, they've captured the experience in such a way that when someone else encounters it it opens up that space for them and essentially like trans like leads this the reader into this this space of feeling the same thing so mm-hmm. it's like a instead of a direct translation or a direct transposition mm-hmm. of emotion it's like translated it'd be emotion translated into something that was then translated back yeah. into emotion yeah or maybe or maybe even you know although we were using the word translation earlier maybe even transformed right you know yeah the, you know there's a not to keep, again um, <laughs> yeah. but you can get a sense of how ner- i'm just nerdy about poetry <laughs> I, I just really i read a lot about it i, I find i find it fascinating um not just because i'm a professor but um i would do it anyway yeah but you know robert pinsky has an essay called the responsibilities of the poet and what what he says is that the first responsibility of a poet and by extension you know i, I would say any artist any writer is an act of transformation is that you are you can't you there is no way you know because even if it's memory right mm-hmm. memory becomes this this form that you're, you're right. going to have to that that transforms the experience right so you're not there's no you know that that is your initial uh, concern is is this act of transformation and how that um, takes you know what what is an experience and and provides it um you know flesh and bone and and something you know something tangible uh mm-hmm. you know and i i i that often is where i'm like um a way of thinking about well what's not what's potentially not working well mm. in a poem it's like okay you may be you may be giving me the raw you know mm-hmm. of this of this moment but because you haven't whether in your thinking or in your you know language or in the syntax gone through that act of transformation mm-hmm. it can't reach me right like it can't it you know um you gotta you gotta create it's like i it's weird thinking about it in the terms of um i mean i've begun to read more comics and mm-hmm. like the how different authors and different like universe comic universes deal with like magic is like mm-hmm. this you know like this raw untapped thing or whatever that can't or that like an entity or whatever that can't that can't affect the physical universe or can't affect the physical plane unless it is somehow like manifested into or given some sort of like vessel that it can be mm. placed into to have access into the world. And I feel like that's similar to your your discussion of the um, like if if the poem or if this uh, if uh, art someone is producing art that is the raw experience sometimes it's it's powerful or it's like it can get its way in but like if you haven't created the the right vessel for it to, mm-hmm. to be effective it's like it's not you're gonna get kind of just like the the like typhoon wind of it instead of a potential like jackhammer right to the fucking like yeah. center of you yeah i mean it's i mean it, it, it's a you know not to become so um yeah i mean because it it would it would in some ways i think we would be in in like a roca's angel moment where mm-hmm. if, if someone gave us was able to transfer their experience completely 
we would just transcend. Like we would just be like, or, or you know, or die. Right, <laughs> you yeah. know, like it would just be like, I can't handle it. Oh, yeah. you know, like I mean, it, it it would be in some ways too much. So it's a mercy, right? Yeah. That the it's like you you kind of. <laughs> You, know, the, the, you turn it, you turn down the hue just a little bit. Yeah, saturation. yeah, yeah. And it's and sometimes it's not even just intensity, right? It's just it's our you know I I think, um, you know it's funny. So there's an essay going back to Luke. You know, there's a there's an essay she has that's called a, um, it's either called on courage or against courage. I think it's called on courage. It's in her book Proofs and, and Theorems, and where she essentially says that um, that when we talk about writing as being courageous that maybe we, particularly in the, in the like idea of the confessional, right. Right, of a confessional poem or a memoir or something like that, that, that really um, perhaps we are um, entering into a kind of fallacy. Um, hmm. And the reason she says, I mean, there's, there are many reasons, right? Uh-huh. But you know, to give you the short version, one of the things she says is if it, the, the imagined person that the poet is confessing to, right, um, parent, whoever it might be, the world, right? Uh, by the time that the reader experiences it, right, time has occurred. Mm-hmm. And so that per- the, the poet is no longer the confessing person that wrote it. They have mm-hmm. been changed, right? right? So then how can you call it courage when you are, you have, you're no longer, you know, in the tense moment like it would be if I was confessing, hey, I slept with somebody else. That, right. that kind yeah, of yeah, distance, yeah. right? It's, it's the, Which it's goes the back distance. to time. Yeah. yeah, exactly. It's the distance, right? So, you know, um, and so even if it, it, the intended audience is the self, right, the act of writing the poem, it, you know, you are not the same person by the time you end, mm-hmm. right? And so, it, you know, for her, it's like to, to call that courageous is for us to enter into a different kind of desire. And she ends that essay. I mean, so I'm, I'm maybe doing a little disservice by, by being summative about it, but... Oh, I'm, all know. the things <laughs> gonna, If I can find a link of it online, it's yeah. going up in the description. Um, so... She says, you know, maybe instead of thinking of those those things that those writings as an act of courage, we should think of them as a state of grace, um, and that that's oh. that's what the what you know, um, which I like, right? Because you know, in some ways, that idea uh, is more communal. Like we can enter into. A state of grace collectively, mm-hmm. but courage is often the, this, the so, like this a singular. It's, yeah, yeah, it's a singular thing. It's an individual individualistic value mm-hmm. um, uh, thing that we might say is admirable, but it is the the act of another person, right? Right, which we might admire, but it but I, it has nothing to do with me. We can right. have collective courage, sure, you know, right, in, in, yeah. in various ways, but and in writing, also, like, <laughs> like yeah. you know, there's no way for me to write a poem and you say, man. And that feels like I'm I'm filled up with courage, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, you might be inspired. You might you know might be right. some other things. Yeah, that and I can that, definitely but. see that like the with the whole like grace and even as an act of mercy, it's like if like that it, the so that that's something that I've thought about and like time, like the yeah. aspect of time. Um, speaking of which, I might be having deja vu, which was a very weird experience. <laughs> but anyway, um, the whole idea of time as um, being both like exceedingly merciful and exceptionally cruel mm-hmm. that and like time as a as a you know like not as a personified in- entity is just yeah. this like we're not in a sandman no moment yeah that's in like i've talked to some some friends about the idea that even like the about the closest i can get now to like a, a creator or like a 
like a progenitor of all is an idea of like a creative force that mm-hmm. it, like it's essentially like a, a life force that has no no predetermined plans no mm-hmm. no agendas it's like it just it goes and where it goes life happens mm-hmm. and i feel like time is the same thing it's like where time goes time happens and it's can be exceptionally merciful that's like you can change and like you it allows for opportunities and allows for second chances and allows for just like you can you are a different person than you were but it's also the cruelness it's like you can never be that again Mm -hmm. you can only access that stuff through some sort of like internalized stasis that you have that is subject to immediate decay yep um but you know it's like you are it's like you're on a um like a, a log ride or something or like mm-hmm. a and you're just you're just cruising along and you're like oh cool that's oh fuck it's yeah you know yeah <laughs> i mean it's a it's a you know it's a strange business but um it makes me think of um because you were talking about comics and that's been coming up a little bit um i'm uh, trying to very slowly get our way to like anime sure 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 we can, and we can we can make that leap um uh, but you know there's a very a many many people listening probably will know the um, book uh, Understanding Comics by Scott McCloud, um, which is a kind of seminal theory text that Scott McCloud, who's a comic book artist, writes, um, and he writes it as a graphic novel. So the, you know, it's a, and again, I use it in in in, in a class on pop culture, um, not on pop culture, on popular genres. Um, and so he talks a bit in in that book about the comic book page and the comic book panel, mm. um, and what he says is that. Um, you know, he, he has this whole, like, system of um, six different types of transitions, uh, panel-to-panel panel transitions. Um, but in that discussion, he talks about the space between panels. You know, they use the term the gutter. Mm-hmm. Um, and what he says is that, you know, the magic of comics is that they give you something to see in the panel and then something to imagine in the gutter. And so that our, our you know, this is, you know, so he uses this, like, pictorial, like, open eye on the panel, closed eye, in, in the gutter, in the space between panels. And so he'll say things that's like, that is where um, all of sort of the amplification of iconography of the, um, of the images, uh, all the sort of like juice that we would sometimes say happens in just like written text, right? The, the, the pictures in my mind are, are vibrant based on the way that language happens. So he says, well, that same idea can happen in, in the between gutter. the panels, right? So he'll say a funny thing like, if you, if you have a panel with somebody with a, he uses this example, like with a you know, raised axe, and in that same panel, someone's like trying to run away. And then the next panel, it's outside the house and you just hear screaming, ah, right? Um, he says, essentially what you've done is killed that person in between the panels, right? right? Yeah. And if you do that, you kill them forever. Like they, it becomes timeless because what you've asked the reader to do is transfer what would normally have been visual Into, to the imagination, yeah. right? And so it's just, it's just amplified. It just, it just plays again and again and again and again. Well, that's not, that's not dissimilar from the way that line breaks and white, right. space, works, white space works in a poem, right? Yeah. So, I mean, it's there, we were talking a bit about borrowing from other, um, art forms there you know I, I'm often interested in um, you know there's probably a critical uh, paper in the works <laughs> yes I um, want to read this <laughs> but about how you know um, why it might be valuable um, to for poets to read more comics yeah. because because of the way in which um, and not even in an ekphrastic way but the way in which 
those transitions, that 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 gutter space, mm-hmm. how that's being used, and it's so um, and you I, know can it could invigorate the way we we make it the poem yeah. move with and rice I, space like, and I love. Um, I first experienced this in like the I have all of the Calvin and Hobbes books, mm-hmm. um, and like some of the Sunday ones where he's um, would be like. Calvin would be in his imaginary world or something and something would happen and you see him essentially like spiral down back into reality where mm-hmm, it's like mm-hmm. it's no longer the or like there'll be like two couple small panels and then just one huge gutterless mm-hmm. just like image mm-hmm. or something that happens or multiple images that are like multiple locations of him mm-hmm. like if he's on his sled or in his wagon or something taking yeah. place in the same large panel and all the manipulations of time and I've, I've seen this in some of the some other comics like the like the full full page spread and how mm-hmm. like yeah, either big, page, like yeah. big 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 panels or like you have two kind of like two people talking and there's mm-hmm. a bunch of shit happening in the background and mm-hmm. that like total manipulation and control of time and space mm-hmm. and how that like how they are translated into into each other. Yeah, so Scott McCloud in that same book is going to say that space equals time in comics. Ah, um, and okay. so and I think that's a that's a value that's not that's a valuable thing to think about in the way that the poem is shaped on the page. Right. Um, Glenn Maxwell is going to he's a British poet he's got a book called On Poetry he's going to say the same thing he's going to say or something similar in that white space is time mm-hmm. is a representation of time in, in, in poems you know so you know the, the leap between stanzas right, right is one way that you can make time accelerate you know um, or slow down if it's you know, the way it, the line breaks on, on the page or you know you've seen you may have seen poets do this thing where they're they're trying to um, uh, not use punctuation mm-hmm. at all, um, but the way that the syntax is working, in the you know they may still want a certain kind of enjambment to happen, mm-hmm. and so where there would naturally have been a period, there's a tab right yeah. in, within the yeah, sort of I, unit I, of the I, line yes, right. I've you know, seen so that, that many many times. You know, so I mean, and it, it 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 reinforces that same idea that hey, this is one way of measuring and marking and. And, and, and using time, right? And that that, yeah. that, that becomes, you know, uh, a way of thinking about how space is so important in, in the poem. So it's like, you know, you know, because people, you know, they'll say things like economy of language, right? Mm-hmm. And, and in terms of like, you get, get, get the poem down to its essentials, that's a very high, you could say it's a haiku-leaning aesthetic. Right, right? yeah. Um, but that's not just about getting rid of dead language mm-hmm. right some of that is about space right just just the way that space moves and then ultimately about sound right, right? i mean you're, you're pushing you know if you're clear if you're if you're compressing space you're also compressing the way that the sounds are, are happening on the line mm-hmm. um and for me often that's that 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 is how you get that amplification of euphony right, right. so you're you're, you're going to draw out the musicality of language often by pushing certain sounds closer together and certain things like certain ways in which prepositional phrases are constructed and mm-hmm. and certain things that elongate the line are, are going to be dissonant to right. all that right yeah. um but it's but that's not all you know there's there's that's my particular right. sort of a, a approach you know because when we were talking just just now about earlier about haiku i was like man you know there's there's probably a way to have a prose poem that embodies the spirit of haiku, right? That not in its syllable length, right? Um, uh, but in that in that distillation that you're talking mm-hmm. about, right? So it can use it can use the sentence. Like so, like what if you had um, a prose poem 
but it took it took that same form, right? Mm-hmm. Like it it works just like in sentences, but the sentences moved five seven five five seven five mm-hmm. five seven five five seven five, right? So you yeah. get you get that rhythm, but on the page it would look like a block, right? Right? Yeah. Um, but that block could still be could still feel. Um, I mean, to use a metaphor, something sort of like diamond, like something that has been compressed mm-hmm. in its in its yeah. internal rhythms, right? Yeah. And it gets there by using haiku, right? It gets there by using that that that, that aesthetic, um, hmm. you know, um, you know. And so that I mean, those are the kinds of things I'm often uh, interested in, right? Yeah. Uh, like how can we how can we, you know? It's probably because uh, I mean, this may I don't know. I, I I think that there may be something about the fact that I am um, both Latino and African American that the, mm. that the idea of hybridization mm-hmm. is um, an existential concern, you know, mm-hmm. uh, that makes me uh, seek that kind of synthesis in okay. in, in art um, or in or in language, right? Yeah. You know, um, you know. So I'm, I'm thinking about why would that be? So why would I be geeking out about something something like that, right? Well, it's probably because of that yeah. you know I'm 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 inter- often interested in those kinds of blends, hmm. um, but uh, yeah, go ahead. So I, I'm talking like going back a little bit to like the space of of poetry. Mm-hmm. Um, I've definitely come to understand. So I I tend to write without periods. At least mm-hmm. I will mm-hmm. incorporate other. At other acts of punctuation so like i'm commas i love mm-hmm. semicolons are useful i love colons especially like coloning a thing that's already coloned mm-hmm. um but i've come to recognize that line line breaks for me act as like commas mm-hmm. and stanza breaks act for me as not as a full not as full stop as a period but close to that sort of like that unit mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. like you you spend this amount of time with this thing and yeah. then you move on um, and I think because of that, it has definitely changed the way that I view my lines. It's like I'm I'm writing like my lines are essentially like units of breath or units of thought mm-hmm. that are. Re- so if I have like a stanza, it's all going to be related, or like on kind of a central theme, mm-hmm. maybe even even if it kind of wanders and moves around around a little bit. And then when it breaks, like that's there's something. It's like. Mm-hmm we're on to another section now that it's still thematically going to be linked, but it's going to be its own kind of like its own internal or Mm -hmm. external unit of, Mm -hmm. of whatever. So is there, do you employ like enjambment or line breaks or stanza breaks in a particular way? Or is it just kind of for the poem that each, each one has its kind of own rule set? Yeah. So, I mean, I would, I would say, um, you know, I think, I think a lot about, about, I think a lot about Denise Levertov's idea of, of, organic form mm-hmm. um, and so she says things like she borrows from Gerard Marilyn Hopkins and says that you know a poem has a kind of she uses his term which is inscape so this is essentialness oh. right there is a there's a there for every individual poem there is its its business of being mm-hmm. right that you are trying to draw out right mm-hmm. so it's like the rockiness of a rock you know the yes. treeness of a tree right yes. the, the the essential quality yeah the essential yeah so that's um you know uh you know hopkins uses the term inscape and so she says that's that form should uh, in the poem um should arise out of a consideration of the poem as this thing that pre-exists the writing 
You know, so you're, you're sort of like, you're, you're after okay. sort of, uh, so it's, it's strange. I know that can sound like really sort of hard to understand, <laughs> you know, but, but, you know, she says, as you're drafting, you're thinking about form, mm-hmm. right? You're, you're considering what is this poem about? Right. What, what are my lines doing? You're listening to that whole business of listening to the poem as if it's speaking to you um, that, that people often employ. Um, but what Leftock would say, you're, you, what you're trying to listen to specifically is, you know, what is this poem at its heart? You know, right. and let that dictate the form that it takes. Mm-hmm. You know, so I mean, it's an organic form. Right. Is what she, yeah, what yeah, she yeah. said, right? So you know, um, so but, that, so essentially, that there is like the poem. Every poem has has a like a shape or a whatever that it wants to be. And your job as a poet is to be close enough to whatever the poem is to allow it to to manifest, yeah. like to apparate essentially yeah, can, in that in that form. It can feel a lot like platonic ideals you know okay. um but but that's you know to again to to abstract i mean i definitely as like in my own writing practice i it's a very um like halted practice because mm-hmm. i i tend to not write every day mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. even have any sort of like a, a regular writing process because for me it's much more a um like when an idea or something hits mm-hmm. like it it comes out. Yeah. Um, but for most of the other time, it's like, I'm not actively thinking of, or trying to write. It's just sort of like, I mean, I'll, I'll do, I'll do things to put myself in situations where those, those moments happen more frequently, but I'm not, you know, like I'm, I'm not just like, I, I will hardly ever intend to sit down and write a poem. It's just sort of like either some, either the feeling's coming or it's not. And I, I definitely, when, when a feeling is coming, there's a, almost like an impression and this is usually unconscious for me but there's an impression of this thing that's it's like when you like put your face in those like peg things and you mm. can see kind of mm-hmm. like just the really gross like eight bit almost outline um if anyone doesn't know what i'm talking about i'll try to find it and put a link <laughs> you see you know, like the science museums and stuff like that, right, right? Yeah. yeah so you put your hand in it's a bunch of like metal needles yeah like, not needles, needles. that's yeah, not like <laughs> little like metal Pins. peg pin yeah. things yeah. But, but anyway um so when i'm writing it i'm trying to like it's I know that there's a way that it wants to come out and it's usually like words will be the thing that mm-hmm. will like, I will be stuck on a particular word or particular line for a while until it manifests. And mm-hmm. it's not so much like a, there's a, like if I had this exact word, it'll fit. It's more mm-hmm. like there's a like two syllable word that has this kind of sound in it mm-hmm. that needs to be here because based upon the rhythm of the line or whatever it is, it's like that. It just, mm-hmm. there's this like a subset of words that will fit there. And it's sure. just a matter of like, what is does this one mean the thing that I want? Does this one mean the thing that I want? This one's a little bit too harsh. This one sounds good. I'll put it there for as a placeholder, right. and then be like, "Oh shit, that's it!" And then go back and like, do it. Yeah. And then a sentence like, but it it does feel like I'm working against some sort of like pre-imagined or just existent template in my head mm-hmm. that I'm trying to like is match as closely as I can on the page to what. Yeah. This is this is why this is why I make that distinction between I think the the thing we're imagining. Is poetry mm-hmm. right, and, and the thing we're making is, is the, the poem, poem right, and that and that our our job essentially is um, uh, is a journey of language. We're trying to find the right language to to marry those two those two things, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, it it's you know what I would say too about you know thinking about is that feeling coming? Is it not coming? Um, I've definitely come to find that you can coax the feeling. Yes, like you can. You can. Oh, yeah. You can write. I mean, essentially, y- 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 there is there is a, a way in which you. 
I, I have tried to check myself so that I don't stop too early. Right. Um, and that I can, I mean, this is the, 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 maybe not the irony, but the circularness of it is that the, the feeling can be coaxed, I think, by um, diving deeper into language, in, into what I like about language. Oh, right? yeah. You know, and, and so just, just, just sort of pressing, not, not in a sort of like Puritan work ethic way. I'm not talking right. about that. I mean, but I'm simply, you know, saying like doubling down on, um, you know, sort of recognizing that I'm not meeting that ideal yet, mm-hmm. but that the path is not, not necessarily epiphany, mm-hmm. right? It's not just going to hit me, right? You it's know, like you but it's actually, it's actually the act of writing. It's yeah. actually doing, doing, doing the the writing beyond the point where, uh, and again, this to me, this is how you hit the surprise, right? Mm-hmm. Because you've you've exceeded the moment. Yeah, where... it's like you've exhausted whatever you can say. So the yeah. only thing that that you have left is something new. Something new, yep. right? Is something something un. It's it, it, it's actually, I think, terrifying. You know, in you know, in in small and large ways, right? Because you've exceeded your atten- intention, um, and you are in a space where it could almost feel in the in the truest sense that the poem is taking over. Yeah, you know, and you are you are you know. Not that you you're not becoming some kind of absent vessel, but like you are, you're in the, right. yeah yeah you're not you're not necessarily being that, but you're in this to to use a metaphor you're in this dance mm-hmm. right where you 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 all know the steps right and then all of a sudden somebody's put a twist on the waltz and you're still doing a waltz but but you're you're wondering well where is this thing going and mm-hmm. I better I better do that twist too to keep up you know right. and then all of a sudden you know, I mean but that's that's sensual that's what all the you know that's what all the, the vibrancy is in that uh, but you know to answer your question um, more more explicitly about um, lines and enjambment and that kind of thing um, I do have some practical things that I do okay so you know in, in general I try to avoid breaking any line on a syntactical unit, you know, so where there would normally be a comma, right? Okay. Um, I try to avoid breaking there. Okay. Um, it doesn't. I mean, this is not always the case, right? You know, but it, but it's in my mind. It's like if I can if I cannot break on where there would naturally be a pause if this were a sentence, um, and that would include prep where a preposition would begin, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, the end of a dependent clause. You know, that you, you get the idea, right? Right. Yeah. Where, where there would be natural. Pauses. Uh, break, breaks yeah. or pauses in in uh, in a of syntactical units. I try to avoid that, right? Because, again, I think that's one way of recognizing that the line is different than the sentence. Okay, you know, so that its its job or its way of getting at possibility um, can be can be different. So, um, it, you know, often it can feel like I'm disrupting normal syntax or the, mm-hmm. the kind of flow of the syntax, but I think that that is valuable. Um, because it, it can amplify the unit of the line in a way that I think is um, important for mm-hmm. me, you know, for, for my aesthetic. So, I, I mean, I, it just depends on the poem, right? So right. sometimes, yeah, yeah. you know, I think a, a period can be useful in the middle of a line, right? Right. You know, as, as a way of yeah. you know, completing meaning, but also creating this, this sort of... Um, for lack of a better word, like open interval mm-hmm. of the line, um, which in is, which you can be, it can be read in, in many ways. Right, and which is something that I, I feel like prose writers don't usually give a whole lot of consideration to, of like how their how their words look on a page. Mm-hmm. Whereas, like that's part of, and I think maybe it should be a bigger bigger consideration for poets, because I've I've definitely seen some published poems that are like sinner justified. No, <laughs> but you do have you have that extra element of um, 
like what not only like what is this line but what does this line look like on a page mm-hmm. potentially surrounded by other lines or in a couplet or just hanging like by itself in white space like what is what is the and that's i've i've done this a couple of times with my with my poems that I, i'll have you know like writing in groups of three or couplets or something mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. then have a line that would originally be part of a couplet and then as i'm rereading it's like oh shit like that these two things need to be joined and this thing needs to be mm-hmm. by itself because mm-hmm. there's a some power or some like something that's like this needs to be separate in its own yeah. it's yeah. like not contained or not connected to any other any other image or any other hmm. any other words yeah so i mean the, i was going to see if i could find an example um in you know kind of this is going to be out of context without hearing the, the whole poem right. but um uh you know, there's a a poem that, well, actually, you could link to it because it's uh, they just published it on Scallywag, oh, cool. um, yeah, uh, which is a great magazine um, uh, about Southern writing, um, and uh, is it just go to their site? I mean, I yeah, can, yeah, I can yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I mean, I have some links on my Facebook page and stuff like that too. Um, uh, but it's from a poem called "Playing Levy." Um, Levy is a character from August Wilson's uh, Mulroney's Black Bottom, um, and. You know, ostensibly, the, this poem is about uh, my best friend from high school and I. He, he and I auditioning and being part of the drama team and mm-hmm. club there, and kind of a little bit, really about the intimacy between men, um, and in in this case, between black men. Um, that is, uh, you know, some it, it, that isn't sexual, mm-hmm. but is, um, um, I guess, important. Um, but there's a there's a moment in there, in in the poem, uh, where, uh, you know, I say, you know, William slips his voice into Toledo, a piano player, his gap tooth smile like a black key. Period. My hands palm a brass horn, um, and in that line just prior to that, like a black key. Period. My hands, and I'm going on to something else, right? You know, by placing the period there mm-hmm. in the middle of the line, then the line can read like, like a black key. My hands, like, as if my right. hands were like a black key. Right. But, yeah. but in, in the flow, this... right? In the flow of the sentence, it doesn't mean that. What I what I meant was that that, that was a simile about his tooth. Right. That his tooth right, right. is like a like a black key. So, but like you said, it opens up the possibility that it could be like you have these two images, which again is like the power of the line. You can have yep. these two images next to each other that, even though they are like connected to their own units sitting next to each other mm-hmm. have like you you give them a relationship yeah. you force it not maybe not force upon them but you like you position them into a relationship that they wouldn't have had otherwise yeah i mean and i think that that is uh yeah cuz if you if you it's sexy like yeah. i mean i mean i, I mean right. not to toot my own but i said no, yeah. that 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 idea that what 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 can be possible um within just the form of poetry without even thinking about received forms right like like, like sonnets and stuff like that um so do you do you tend to i guess this is probably just a poem to poem thing but do you tend to write in like sentences when you write poems or is it like if a poem calls for it you'll be i think that um it varies okay um one of the things that i really like about poems is that it, it, it is that that they have the ability to be non-narrative mm-hmm. um you know i mean think about the way a villanelle works it, it is it is completely um you know almost like a tartology tartology it's circular you right. know yeah, in, yeah. in that it just because you, you keep repeating mm-hmm. these same like lines a, right like a 
no, not a um, sestina, where yeah. like the like the couple of words of yeah. the repeated. Those things. six words at the end are gonna are gonna come back, right? So, you know, it, in some ways, it's like even if you're attempting to say, uh, craft something that is like a narrative poem, right? Mm-hmm. Which would depend on narrative progression, right. right? So you're moving towards, you know, climax, freitax, triangle, all that business. Um, the repetition is a way of the poem snatching back right, right. so you, you, two steps forward one step back because mm-hmm. you're going to keep you're going to say the line again right, right. Uh, and it it's it's useful because there are some human experiences that are circular that are non-narrative that don't progress in linear ways i would love you to know? see a villanelle <laughs> about grief it's yeah. like that's like I, I i can't imagine a grief poem being written in anything other than that because yeah. like that's it's that Sure. You go, you move forward, and then something happens, and you're right back at the yeah. beginning of that cycle. Yeah. Um, Donald Just- Justice has a great pantoum um, called Pantoum Pantoum of the Great Depression, um, and it, it while you know it has that that linking repetition in the, in the same way, but it's not exactly circular because you're gonna you know it's it, there is yeah, there's you, this you movement move, in the yeah, pantoum right yeah um, you know so the, yeah I mean I, I think that. So that's to, to answer your question. It does it does depend on the poem, but I'm I'm trying to think of and, and consider. I mean, particularly in the new manuscript that I uh, have been working on called the Understudies Handbook. Um, mm. That that's you know there are some explicit concerns about how can we have poems that are non uh, whose concerns are non narrative. Right. Um, so they're not they're not just trying to be a storyteller. Um, and I mean I know no one will be able to see this. Uh, on the page, but you know, I have a poem in there called "Fever Dream with Sugared Muslin," and it has both lines and and the sort of like Etheridge Knight uh, slashes. Yeah, which you know. is traditionally um, in I don't know one of the handbooks. If you're quoting a line of poetry that's not long enough to be like a block mm-hmm. text, you represent it as you do a space. Was it is that a back or a forward slash? Oh, I'm not even sure. I, whatever, <laughs> it's the one of the slashes. It's probably a forward slash because the top of it is pointing. Okay, to the right. so it'd be like it would be end of the line space forward slash space and then the next line. Mm-hmm. So that's how you um, and I've seen that in a couple of um, yeah. a couple of more contemporary poets that they have those things inside of the line mm-hmm. and then they also have line breaks. Mm-hmm. But yeah. I have so I've seen them use the way that you do. It's they exist inside the line and then there's line breaks. And I've also seen them as like essentially a prose poem. Yeah. With, like, with the slashes and yeah, right, yeah. Spo- yeah, essentially. I'm assuming you're supposed to be, you would you would give that slash the same amount of like pause or the same amount of breath that you would a, a line break. Yeah. yeah, something like that, right? So there's a there's a I was reading in an anthology called the Breakbeat Poets. Um, oh yeah, yeah. Do you, you know the same? Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so poetry in the age of hip hop, um, and there's a there great. I mean, the, there's a bunch of fantastic poems in that anthology, but at the end they have a set of like craft. Uh, essays. Mm-hmm. There's one by I'm almost certain by Patrick Rosal, um, where he says it, it, it's all about the art of breaking. You know, like break dancing. You know, uh, like breaking as making. Uh-huh. And so what he says is those those slashes that a poet like Etheridge Knight, Etheridge Knight uses um, are akin to the dashes in Emily Dickinson. Um, that they're functioning in similar ways, but Dickinson's oh. Dickinson's movement is horizontal, right? Uh-huh. But Etheridge Knight's um, that slash is vertical. So remember, we were talking about Shapiro, you know, getting close to the earth with the poem. He says, "Well, here's this, here's this pictorial way yeah. of saying, like, hey, heaven and earth, or the sky and earth, or whatever it is that that the poem as ideal and the poem as crafted. The slash 
is 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 representing that vertical movement. Yeah. Um, and so like that, that stuff I think is is like it has nothing to do with the story of the poem, right? Yeah. But oh man, I I think that if if you can find yourself, not everyone needs to be geeky about that, but right. I find myself being really really geeky about that stuff. <laughs> well, so that, that that got me thinking. So there was a poem that I wrote. Um, I was at. I'll leave, this is a weird story of how this poem came to be. I was at my very first jury duty, which was like mm. last year. Um, I think like it was oh, until I got my uh, Maryland driver's license. Mm. I don't like I wasn't getting jury duty notices, and I finally got one, and I went. And like I spent, you know, you spend the entire day here mm. or there. Yeah. And at one point after lunch, um, at, in one of the waiting rooms, they put on Hitch. Mm-hmm. Which was like one why two I was like I don't want to I don't want to deal with this. So you're, not, I, you're not a Will Smith fan. No, I, I love Will Smith. I'm not a Kevin James fan. Oh, I see. I see. Yes. Um, and the whole kind of like the idea of that of like that like, pairing. No, not not the pairing, but the whole idea of of like the um the, the conceit of of the film of like mm-hmm. you know teaching people how to fall on that whole right, sort of like right, right. modern cupid whatever. So. As, as a mode of like personal resistance, I decided to write a poem just because I was like, fuck this. this is, I will retreat into poetry. But it ended up being on like love and the, like yeah, kind of like sure. an a, a internalized idea that I had about like uh, the last time that I had a, like when we were talking about crushes, mm-hmm. the, when I had it, the, I, the image that I had for me was like a cherry tree that hadn't blossomed in years mm-hmm. or suddenly mm-hmm. blossoming. Mm-hmm. So I wrote, mm-hmm. I wrote one, it was ent- entirely dialogue, but I made certain decisions with like the um, I'll see if I can I'll do what I can mm-hmm. to post this somewhere but um, like in, in for where I wanted pauses mm-hmm. to do like a bunch of returns yeah. so there's moments of like thinking or moments of space or something that mm-hmm. I wanted to convey that I, I didn't know how to convey otherwise because you know like given the conversation there'll be moments of they're talking and someone's kind of lost in thought and you're like wait what? yeah because mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. you know like I've I'm sure people have experienced these moments of, you know, you're kind of lost in your own thoughts or there's pauses or, I mean, listening to me, I'm sure that you've mm-hmm. heard me just randomly stop talking at for what seems like excruciatingly long periods <laughs> of time. Um, but that was like using, using yeah. space to denote time, yeah. sort of, a, sort of a, yeah. And there's, and, and again, there's just, there's just so many ways, um, you know, ways to do that. Um, I think, um, cause I know you wanted me to talk a little bit about, uh, anime uh so let's see t- almost a year maybe a year and a half ago i did a library talk at the university of baltimore about Ooh. about poetry and anime um and so and essentially this was this is uh like a short presentation about what poets could gain by watching more anime and um i w- had been reading this uh, theory text um uh from susan napier uh, that was uh, basically the title is anime from Akira to Howl's Moving Castle. Oh wow! Um, and there's just some really there's some really really like fascinating things in in there. Um, but one of the things she talks about that I thought was a useful way in formulating poetics is this idea of mu mukokuseki. So I'm, my Japanese is terrible, but um, essentially what that means. Is uh, and you could you could look it up. There's like a, if you go on like TV tropes, you could look up mu kokuseki, um, uh, and uh, essentially what it means is a, a, a sense of statelessness. Um, oh. 
you know, think think of like the the, the Ronin, right? The, yes. The you know, samurai doesn't have a like a feudal ex- lord. Exile. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right. Um, or with you know, so what what um, Susan Napier is talking about is that anime should is is foundationally um, rooted in this idea of mugoku seki, and that we shouldn't think of it as arising out of some um, hegemonic. Uh, uh, Japanese identity mm-hmm. um, and rather um, not only because anime arises at a time at a profound profound hybridization in Japan where mm-hmm. the, the West and its own sort of uh, culture are, are blending in, to create pop culture you know um, so there is no there's no pure Japanese pop culture at the moment that anime is, is being created right you know um, and so rather than thinking of it as essentially Japanese um, what she says is that uh, it anime is in this sense of statelessness without without you know not connected to a state. Wow. Um, and so it in a, and so what I like about that or what I think what it, why that was useful to me is you know in other words anime doesn't have to refer to the real world in right. any way. No. You know not anime at all. is its own. So the way I tell often tell students is anime is its own country. It's its own country, right? So if you've ever like seen uh, an, an, an anime, um, and you're like, well, why is it that this character who's at a Japanese board, you know, public school, why does this character have orange hair? Why does this character have? And we're not talking about a representation of people who have red hair, right? No, you know, or like, like or they hair. have blue hair, or purple yeah, that's, hair, right? On Tumblr, it's the yeah. whole like spot the um, spot the main character right. game of. You know, right, 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 right. So, or even, or even blonde, right? It's something that yeah. we, we might recognize, right? So, you might be tempted to say, well, this is some kind of um, internalized racism, like that, you know, the, a desire to for Western values, you know, to have the characters have something like blonde hair, right? Um, well, Susan Pierce is going to say that's actually an error, right? Because the, not only one, there's a practical reason that people have different hair as a quick way to identify characters, mm-hmm. right? Really, right. just yeah. to boom, 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 you know, we can know who they are, right? But it, but she she makes the further point that if you understand this idea of mugokuseki, um, then you realize that if anime doesn't have to refer in that way to the real world, um, it can just refer to itself. Yeah. You know, so it, you know, so characters don't look European. They don't look Japanese. They only look anime, right? You know, <laughs> like that. Right. It, it is its own sort of, uh, you know, Lexus in terms of that, right? So that 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 idea of not having to hmm. refer to the the you know the the literal world, right? So think of it like anti-mimetic, right? Hmm. Um, I think is really useful for the poet, um, in, so that when they write lines or they write poems, they're not they're they're not attempting to just hold up a mirror to the world, right? They actually recreate the world. They create yeah. new worlds, right, mm-hmm. in, in the poem. And, and that, beginning from that premise, I think can lead you to vibrant language, right? If you're not just trying to represent, right. you know, uh, the world, then if you're, if you're really trying to invent the world yeah. in the poem, so right? So poetry not as reflection, but poetry as transformation. As transformation, Transform- as invention, right? Yeah. At, in in, in the, the, the essentials of, imag- uh, of the imaginative process, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so anime is doing that right. is, is the idea. So, so there is a kind of underlying presence by hey, I mean, and, and I get it, right? Yes, there are stories about you know playing volleyball and you know and and being at school and yeah, I mean, it, slice it's a, of life, yeah, slice yeah. of life stuff, right? Um, but you know, these are these are uh, again um, 
we would we would we would be I think an error to say that that they are completely Japanese. Right. They're, 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 they are this other thing. They're, yeah. they're anime. Right? And I, I think <laughs> like so one of the um, whenever I'm in like a depressed or just crappy mood, I typically turn to an anime uh, Nichi Joe, which mm. is so on the scale of like slice of life, um, like slice of life comedies, you have. Um, Azumanga Dayo on the mm. one side, which is played pretty straight, even though there's some like weird, weird character. You know, it's mm. like the the child genius is a pretty standard trope. It turns mm. out, um, but it's played pretty straight. It's like none of these characters are in events or doing things that seem like they're outside of the realm of like this is an actual kind of life. And right. then on the other end of the spectrum, you have Penny Pony Dash, mm-hmm. which is a total farce and mm-hmm. is so aware and so meta that it like it draws in tropes from other things. And then Kind of in the middle is you have Nichi Joe, where you have characters in these random. I don't. Know, I'm sure that you've seen the clip of like the principal fighting a deer. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's Nichi Joe, <laughs> which is not like not out of the realms of things mm-hmm. that happen. Where you have these very weird, weird odd events, and like another character is a robot, mm-hmm. um, like a straight up android that was yeah. invented by a child genius. Yeah, and you have she also invents a handkerchief to allow their cat to talk. Mm. Um, so you have all of these like random events. But it's played pretty straight. Mm-hmm. Like these things are not outside of the realm of like possibility, which for me was always like a pretty good representation. So in and of itself, Nietzsche Joe is just a delightful like slice of life thing mm-hmm. that spends time um, and like the the title I think translates to like my ordinary life. So mm-hmm. it's all these mm-hmm. like yeah. like mundane kind of things that some of them are like close to traditionally Japanese. It's right. like you know high school and sure. that type of stuff, mm-hmm. but it does get to a sense or a state of um, kind of like poetry, or at least the poetry that I'm mm-hmm. much more attracted to now of like kind of emotional truths that it's mm-hmm. not, it's not so dependent upon the facts and the truth and presenting things in a way that is like, this is true to life, but dealing mm-hmm. with like presenting it in a way that allows you to get to kind of like the fundamental aspects of existence. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which so one of the, one of the other things that I appreciate with anime, and this is a little bit of a leap, mm. Um, that I first experienced with like Cowboy Bebop mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. uh, Full Alchemist. Mm-hmm. Initially the first one, but especially with Brotherhood. Oh, is Brotherhood that... is much, much, I mean, well, watch Brotherhood, of... let me tell you right now. <laughs> right, well, so, so the deal with that, for those of you who don't it's know. closer to the manga, right? Yeah, it's like yeah. The, the first, so the manga was being written and then the first series was following, which is what they usually do is that, like, you know, which was why like Bleach or Naruto right. or One Piece have so many filler, filler arcs. It's like they're yeah. they're waiting for the manga to get far enough along so that they can start making like episodes again. So they're not, you know, they they still have content. Um what you know, like Bleach has took a long time for them yeah. to get further, which is why there's a shit ton of yeah. filler arcs. Yeah. But anyway, um so the artist I don't remember her. I don't rem- know her name off the top mm. of my head, but the artist was working on Full Metal Alchemist and the the anime caught up to it mm-hmm. and instead of kind of waiting around for her to get finished i think the executives or the creators of the anime went to her and was like hey we want to we want to finish this here are kind of our thoughts with how we want to take this series and i believe that she gave them her blessing and mm-hmm. then they finished it so the, the original full metal alchemist up to a certain point follows pretty closely the manga and then it takes off in its own yeah like random tangents and then brotherhood came out a couple of years after the manga was finished to give you sort of like the, this is like the rest of the story based on the manga so the first like three episodes the three or four episodes um is a very like abbreviated sort of what the other yeah. original series up to yeah. like um meeting oh crap what was her name um 
the um, Sewing Life Alchemist, Tucker. Mm -hmm. Shao Tucker and his daughter. Like, after you get there and, like, meet Scar, things kind of go off. Like, the Brotherhood follows. Like, finally, it starts pacing itself a little bit better. But anyway, um, the thing that I appreciated from from those is that, um, like, growing up, you know, in the West with American animation Mm -hmm. is that American animation is usually viewed as, like, kids. Yeah, sure. Um, Mm -hmm. It's, like, kids animated things. Mm -hmm. Which I'm so glad that nowadays you're getting stuff like, like Venture Brothers yeah. or Adventure Time or I mean even like Metalocalypse yeah. that you're well shoot even something like Avatar: The Last Airbender right like, yeah. explicitly for children but has yeah is, is then, borrowing that aesthetic you and know then, and making it so and this this is better. A, this is a really good example of that so in in Avatar: The Last Airbender the original series nobody dies I mean mm. a couple of people die but it's Jet did he die you know well, that's the thing. Like, it's like you it's know, really unclear is yeah. what, what Saka says like, yeah. Um, <laughs> The oh crap! Admiral Zhao gets yeah. you know like snatched by the water yeah. spirit. Um, you found out later what happens to him, but uh, yeah. from from Legend of Korra. But yeah. yeah, so yeah. like you, there's very it's like even though there's a war going on, like most other things involving a war, there's very little like actual battle. You know, it's like the the kind of yeah. the, the realities of war. Well, you know the the, the, char- the creators. Not to interrupt you too much, but the the creators said. Mm, what they liked about bending as a um, mode for the um, act, it, mode for the show uh-huh. is that they it allowed them to have action without violence. Right. Yeah. You know? And then with Korra, you definitely like the in, the first. Have you seen? Oh, of Korra? course. Of so course. the first season ends with a murder suicide, and it's mm-hmm. a very explicit that like yeah. this is what happens. And then there, I think in the third season, um, Zahir like suffocates. Yeah. The um the Empress, the mm. Earth the Earth Empress. Empress. Yeah. Earth Queen. Yeah. And you see it. And so and I, I appreciate getting so what Full Metal Alchemist and like um Cowboy Bebop for me instilled was the that there are like mediums that are appropriate to particular stories. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's like I loved seeing animated I mean not seeing war animated, mm-hmm. but seeing stories that are animated that deal with, you know, like the whole like the whole subplot of Full Metal Alchemist is like you have like Scar is yeah. essentially like a radicalized um, Ishvalite who yeah. is like taking revenge against people who destroyed his country, which you find out her reasons are like not you know yeah. like it, they, it's, it's not a subtle metaphor no. for for Muslims, no. <laughs> you know. Um, but so and then with Cowboy Bebop, it's like you have you have characters that are that are shown to be. Like put into positions and then shown in sort of like the the totality of what mm-hmm. what those positions do to them and like mm-hmm. like Spike yeah being a gangster for a while like what that yeah. like the fact that that fucks with you emotionally yeah um, yeah uh, yeah I mean it's 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 uh, you know it, it's I don't know I got I got introduced by a friend um, I might have been as it might have been as late as high school and it was like. You should watch Dragon Ball Z. Oh yeah, you know? that's and, Dragon you know, Ball Z. Tsunami, you know, yeah. on, on Cartoon Network. We Dragon Ball Z would, would was my or Dragon Ball <laughs> yeah. was my was my yeah. way into it. Um, but you know, the, what I what I come, you know, uh, rather than because I could just go on a whole tangent about <laughs> about ah, you know, whole episode, person just powering up the yep. whole episode. Um, uh, Which again, timing. And, yeah, yeah, sure, 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 sure. Right. Uh, I've know. heard that Z is a lot, or no the. Uh, 
Kai is a lot better of like streamlining well, all that stuff. Yeah, and they've got a, I mean, they have a new series, Super, yeah. you know, that, um, but I can't, I, I just can't do it. Um, <laughs> but I, I, you know, later, there's, I could make some recommendations that are better, but, um, you know, one of the things that I, when I was thinking about in that presentation about what poets can learn from, from anime is, I mean, just something as simple as uh, the way in which the animators treat the face. Yes. And that the face can um, uh, essentially uh, use different iconography to emote, mm -hmm. right? So, you know, just if you look at even to drill down further, like the eyes, like you can you can have eye, one character that has that's drawn in a particular way, you know, thinking of something like School Rumble, um, mm -hmm. and then if they are confused, their eyes become concentric circles, you right. know? Or if they are shocked, their eyes become two dots, yeah. you know? I mean, in, in, while always sort of returning back to their general sort of stylistic animated large eyes idea, right? Or even the mouth can be like right, a squiggly, yeah. squiggly line or a straight line or, the you know, the different ways, right? And so something about that business, right, um, felt lyrical. Yeah. Like, like, I was, like I was seeing I a man. I want to say that I've heard you t either heard you talk about this or have talked to you about yeah, this before. Yeah, may, maybe so. Like if, 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 you know, so there was something about seeing that and it's like, oh, that's that, that feels like like visual lyric yeah and and so it, and so i thought well then if you are experiencing that um that might be useful right as, yeah. a, as a as a thing to again invigorate and give you give you new language to bring into your poetry yeah, so like how you, how can you even do the ways in which you could describe a right. face yeah right because anime is doing that visually and transforming it well you know Gosh, metaphors do yeah. that same thing, yeah. right? Like, <laughs> and then there's also, and like, I'm, I'm, as a as a poet, where I am right now is really concerned about like emotional truth or like the poetic moments, and mm -hmm. that for me is like with musicals, and that's something I use. I dislike musicals for the longest time until, really, kind of till anime, thinking mm -hmm. about that, like the eruption into song, or essentially the like a visual expression of some sort of internal emotion that's mm -hmm. like the outflowing of, of emotion that even though like the songs because that's what always bothered me is not being able to tell if like the if the performance of the musical was diegetic or non-diegetic yeah, yeah, like yeah, is yeah, it yeah, actually yeah. taking yeah, place within like right. the world of the, right. of the can movie can the characters actually hear it in all that right. business right? or yeah. is it just like is it just a visual manifestation it's like this is the this is the strong emotion and right. I feel the same way that like um, anime does that with like the faces or mm -hmm. like one punch man where he's mostly oh, yeah. it's like just kind of the blank egg yep. face <laughs> unless he's super serious and then it's like hyper detailed yeah yeah um the, like that for me is like you're you're giving like these things aren't actually happening mm -hmm. it's just you're giving a visual language to some sort of emotional experience or expression that's that's happening yeah but it, but you know it's funny because it, it it's not always clear because i think sometimes right. characters react right to the to those fa facial things but you know it you know to take it to take it even further, right? There's a connection um, between the way that that works and the way that Scott McCloud talks about manga. And one of the differences he says he's like doing this whole sort of explaining sort of the history and the development of the way that Japanese comics use different panel transitions and the way that American uh. comics use different pa panel transitions. And what he ultimately says is that uh, manga is a is a and, and Japanese comics are. Um, so interested in the idea of intervals, right? Mm -hmm. it, it is very literal, the yin and yang, right? Like that, the 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 juxtaposition of intervals mm -hmm. is is kind of 
fundamental, right? And that's what you're seeing in those transformations of the face, right? Well, that 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 idea, you know, so there's move, the regular face, the, the transformed face, the regular right. face, the, you know, sad face, right? The, you, know, yeah. what, you, know, all, you know, all those those sort of movements, right? Um, well, that that can teach you something about the way that a poem can also move line to line, right? So that you're making these, you know, or even across stanzas, mm -hmm. you know, like that you can you can juxtapose and create um, that that intensity um, of emotion or mm -hmm. truth or insight or all those things by thinking about how things are changing in right. intervals, right? Yeah. Like the way that you you, you pay attention to intervals, um, you know, so. You know, you know. Last thing I'll say about that, um, along those lines. So, like, so some of it was the lyrical transformations and how we can borrow it. Some of it was um, the idea of uh, space that doesn't refer to the real world. Right. Um, um, but you know, there were two. There were two other things that were really important to me, and one of those is um, in an anime, and this is this is true. This is true for all animation, but you see it used more. Um, I think uh, more heavily in anime um, is the way in which you can enact stillness. Um, mm. And so think about how if you're watching a live action film, right, and there's a freeze frame, mm -hmm. no matter how, you know, well placed or well integrated into the flow of the editing that happens, right? Your, it still looks Your weird. brain yeah. recognizes it. Like, boom, that's a, that's a freeze frame. We know what's going on, right? Yeah. So it's as if you're, you're seeing the scenes and the way that the, the yep. thing is made, right? Well, well, a little bit of the facade shows. Yeah, 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 yeah. exactly, exactly. Um, but in anime, right? Like, so I watch a, a, a volleyball anime called oh, Haiku. Yeah, Haiku. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 again, the pronunciation. It's like H-A-I-K-Y-U-U. -Y -Y yeah. yeah. Um, Haiku, something like that. I, I forget how they how it's pronounced. Um uh, but you know, so somebody will jump up, do a crazy massive spike, right? And then the rest of the people on the floor will be stunned, right? So like they're, I mean, so they're expressing this idea of that happened so fast we couldn't move, right? Right. Um, but you know, there is no way in live film to get complete stillness without yeah. a freeze frame, yeah. right? Without a freeze frame. Um, Something, the dust in the light, something, the, the, the wind, the trees, some, something's going to be moving. Right? Yeah. But you can get that in anime without the re without this, without your brain say, sort of saying, that's a freeze frame. Right. right? You accept it as, it, you accept absolute stillness as possible within that space. Right. Right. And so that, you know, the way in which um, poets can enact certain kinds of silences, mm -hmm. right, on the page. Um, uh certain kinds of stillness right? right in the way that that a, that, a, that a poem moves or or moves between the intervals of stillness and movement right, right? um you know that i think so in other words anime can teach you a rhythm right but you know in it in its in its in its in its intervals that can be useful for and poem. i think that that they can be extrapolated out a little bit that you have animes that are a hell of a lot slower like mm -hmm. pacing wise than mm -hmm. anything that you would come across yep. in like uh, Mushishi is a yeah. prime example yeah. or like Kino's Journey where it's, you have these you have these like really episodic but very like open and very slow like it, it feels like you're out for a walk mm -hmm. like not really going anywhere you're just kind of walking around and like seeing the things that happen but it's, it's, a, it's a really like lackadaisical no yeah. that's the wrong word um, very relaxed pace, and yeah, I, sure, I think sure. that um, 
there's an acceptance to like openness and stillness and mm-hmm. like quiet and just you know like having a having a shot that's not an establishing shot of just like a waterfall and like a cricket mm-hmm. like hopping right. like you just that's in it and there's a there's a reason for it to be in there and it's not just like a transition thing it's like right. there's there's some quality that that has and i think that that's um i don't know that for me that feels like it's much more an aspect of uh like japanese specifically japanese like art aesthetics it's like that Mm -hmm. that level of sort of um like quietude or space or just you Mm -hmm. know like to have an image of like people eating food so this Mm -hmm. one of the things that i love about nichijo is that um between like um not like between sections and like Mm -hmm. in a series like sometimes when they'll cut to like commercial or something they'll Mm -hmm. be just like the camera out on just a scene yeah and you'll have like a character. Sometimes you have like a main character or something move through it, but sometimes it's just like you have it. It'll be like night falls and then lights flicker on in an apartment building, and mm-hmm. like that's there. And it's just like it's it is there to break up the kind of like the action mm-hmm. because it usually mm-hmm. like it'll go right back to what was happening before that. But it's just it's sort of like a breather, like a palate yeah. cleanser. Yeah. There's just this this moment of like quiet and just. Yeah. peace or calmness that's just there that i feel like a, a lot of western audiences would just rail against because mm-hmm. it feels like so much in the west at least for as like visual mediums it's like it's smash cuts and super quick mm-hmm. edits and things are just fine and moving and there's mm-hmm. there's not that like in 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 my film class we were discussing like the average length of um like a shot in mm-hmm. most mm-hmm. like action films it's a little bit shorter but just kind of most films are like even like adverts or something it's like it happens every it was like every two or three seconds Mm -hmm. there's a cut and i was i would back when i had when i personally had cable i would watch like advertisements and commercials and stuff and it's like that pacing is like yeah yeah and it's it when you notice it or at least when i noticed it it was like it hurt my eyes and my brain because like i just like just like stop Right. It's like hang out somewhere for a second. Mm-hmm. Just give me some time to breathe until you move on. But it, it does something to your attention. Yeah. Or the way that or the, way, the way that you attend to, um, you know, certain experiences, and that you know, I, I think it can it can, um, you know, make you lean in in a way of like packing as much as you can into right. the shortest amount of of, yes. of time. And you know, again, that can be vibrant. There's ways that, you know, in terms of language, that can be yeah another way of, of getting at some things, but. You know, I mean, you're talking about that idea of a palate cleanser in in a, in a particular shot, and you know, we could we could think about how well, you know, that might be a way a, a method of thinking about revision, right? So I'm moving through the lines, and am am I arriving at a line that functions like that? Between, mm-hmm. You know, something that is in between the intervals, or right. something that's functioning as a palate cleanser, and is is the language strong enough that it can be that and still, you know be full of content right or would white space be better right you know, so just a simple idea like well you know you know can i get away can, can that palette cleanser be enacted by you know just just white space or, yeah or or can or does it need to be enacted by another image right, right? Yeah. or is by it, another is it something similar that, or something, is it like, something that, that yeah. like time can can deal with in and of itself yeah. or does it does there need to be something to to be the bridge between the yeah, yeah. and it can be it can be both of those right yeah. or, or, or or any permute permutation of those mm-hmm. Um, you know, so so this this idea of you know the um, uh, stillness and and how that's uh, presented, um, I think, is 
uh, something that I found fascinating, something I think that could be useful. Yeah, um, and especially for like the 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 transition between stillness to action, mm-hmm. where it's like you have the reaction shot of like a face that's just sort of blank, and then what? Yeah, yeah, you, yeah like exactly. in that that exactly, which I don't know. So I yeah I yeah. So you know, there's there's a way in which I think that. Um, uh, invites you into a different way of thinking, right? Um, yeah, and you know, um, can be useful. Um, in that same book by Susan A. Pierce, she says that animes function within three particular modes. Um, so she's mm-hmm. like most most animes can fit in one of these three modes, and the three modes that she says are the apocalyptic, mm-hmm. um, and so that you know, arising not only out of you know a japanese concern with being one of the only countries the only country that's been bombed by an atomic bomb right you know um and not necessarily just uh you know um dystopian um kinds of constructions of the apocalypse essentially she says the apocalyptic the apocalyptic can be personal mm-hmm. um intimacies oh, wow. you know yeah. um, so it's the apocalyptic is one mode right she said there's the second mode she calls festival. Um, so not only the fact that there's a, you know, you watch many animes, there's going to be a festival. <laughs> you know, right. like, usually, you know, usually the festival slice episode. Yeah, 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 particularly in Slice of Life ones, right? But what she means by that is, um, think of it more like like endless Mardi Gras, like a, a, a moment where um, up is down, left is right, uh, she says, is oh, dealing like with the, the liminal, right? The, the idea that you're in between things, mm-hmm. you know, that, that gender gets, gets uh, becomes fluid, <laughs> yep. you know. Um, I'm thinking like a, an anime called Ranma One Half where this literally happens where a guy gets like, doused with water, he yeah. transforms into a girl, you know. So it's that, like the taking, taking the more literal view of like the definition of the festival and like what the original, like choosing some random person to be the king and yeah, yeah, the, the idea of, of Twelfth Night, yeah. that, that 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 business, right? The fool is king, right? So that topsy turviness um, is is one another mode, right? Mm-hmm. And so you're gonna find a lot of the comedies, you right. know, fitting in that that space. Yeah, right? like um, Nietzsche Joe and Panty Pony Dash yes. would definitely fit into the, like the, yeah. the whimsy, just like random. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, so before we go on, there was one like the the whole idea of. Are the things that that you react or that the, that the characters react to, like the faces and stuff, mm-hmm. is that part of the world or not part of the world in anime? Mm-hmm, and there's mm-hmm. there's a couple of moments in Nietzsche Joe where the main character uh, Yuko is a is daydreaming, like she's sleeping in class and she's daydreaming about how her friends got, how one of her friends gets her like palm mm-hmm. like hair and like the little pigtail things, and like you because one of the episodes starts in this random sort of like if you're dealing with elves and you have all these guys and then it ran like it develops that that's oh it's a, like her hair is a pom-pom that somebody mm. threw but you have like the character over time will become more one of the characters becomes more and more involved in this other world and it begins like you said it's like the blurring of the lines of like I, we, you don't really know if this is actually like what's going on or if she's just imagining mm-hmm. this or if it's mm-hmm. act like the world, and I feel like in in anime, or at least with animation, it's a lot easier. Like like the stillness, it's a lot mm-hmm. easier to accept that these things can. It's like dream logic. These scenes can be fluid yeah. and can be both of these things at the same yeah. time. And it does. It's not that. I I, I had a book. Um, I don't. I didn't mean to co-opt your. No 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 no. I will come back. <laughs> I did an independent study in undergrad on like music video drafting, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and the book that I had um, was talking about how a lot of music video logic follows essentially dream logic. Mm-hmm. That mm-hmm. things that are narrative are not um, like. So typically, when you have a narration, the thing that happens 
like if you have one two things that happen in one two and three order the things that happen like two cancels out whatever happens in one mm -hmm. or becomes the new reality and then mm -hmm. the thing that happens in three becomes the new reality so if like one is against three whatever happens in three that's what happens whereas yeah. in dreams or in music videos a lot that you have states that are not um like if they're separated by time or they exist one after the other in time do not negate the state that came before it so right. you have a lot of it's like it's super open you have things existing on like multiple levels of yeah. it's it, you can so i mean you can have somebody um you know a little mini story in a music video cut in with people just dancing or the band yeah. playing and singing and, and stuff like that and they don't have to be re related or involved in right. that in that yeah. same, so that anyway, same way so yeah. I've, anime I feel can operate a lot yeah. more on those like animated stuff because you're already existing in a state that these it's like it's so it's not close enough to reality that you don't you don't expect things to operate yeah. the way that you want them to operate. I mean, but anyway, I mean that's like that's that's why for me Mugoku Seki made so much sense. Yeah, you know, and that you know no reference um, to the real world. But third mode, third mode, third mode is um, the elegiac, and so she oh. she talks about how um, this tension between the way that Japan sees itself um, uh, as both um, having this. Like, for lack of a better word, village identity, like mm -hmm. you, you know, the, the transition of people to the to urban centers, but always this nostalgia for mm -hmm. that sort of simple village life, right? right. Um, uh, and so, so she says that that often um, animes in that mode are thinking about this tension between tradition and progress, huh. um, about what what does it mean, you know, what does it mean to construct sort of, you know your identity. I mean, to be honest, right? You you could put a lot of Miyazaki <laughs> right. in the in the elegiac mode, yeah. right? They they they're often um, concerned about what is being lost, right? What you know, what, Which, what what's the cost of, there's of a, losing certain there's things? There's a term. So when I was reading about um, like five centimeters per second and place premise in our early days, mm. which are um, I mentioned place premise in our early days almost three hours ago, <laughs> um, but. Uh, there is a term that I came across on Wikipedia called um, monono aware, hmm. um, which I'm sure that I pronounced not correctly. But it's the idea of um, like the it's translated to like the pathos of things or like mm -hmm, the, mm -hmm, the bittersweetness mm -hmm. that you feel or like the small sadness yeah. that you feel when things end. Yeah. Um, so like the cher passing cherry blossoms that bloom and then are gone in two weeks is yeah. a prime example of like that. Like you you enjoy it while it happens, but it passes and it's sad and it makes you think about your own passing and there's a lot like a, it draws out these like deeper things in you but right. it's it's not a like devastating sadness it's right. just like a like a little bit of a bitterness and a yeah it's not an apocalypse right, right. <laughs> yeah, I, I feel like um like miyazaki is definitely like spirited away is full of those moments mm -hmm. but there are these mm -hmm. there are these big big events and these big sadnesses but it there are definitely these moments of like this is a really small like there's a much more of attention paid to like the small like um oh crap what's her name shira no you get it. I, I forget it all the time the, too. the main yeah. character yeah. when she when she initially turns down no face yeah, yeah. after he's trying to mm -hmm. give her gold it's like right. that that little like ah oh. yeah um I mean, and even the even that film as a whole, yeah. Um, you know, in, in some ways, is a lament for how we um, don't pay attention to the spirits anymore, right? You know, like yeah. those aren't those aren't a part of our concerns. And it's you know? and it's not a or like um, 
Oh, Princess Mononoke has a lot of those moments in yeah. it too, and I, I feel like there's with the environment being right the, 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 yeah, <laughs> instead like, of the spirits. Yeah, in some in some aspects, it feels like there's Princess Mononoke feels like it's a little more um, like a little more calling down a judgment of yeah. like you know you guys are fucking things up, but yeah. pr- like the, with the spirits, like I didn't consider that, but with Monono- with Spirited Away, it doesn't feel like there's a like a condemnment yeah. of like it's just sort of like this is what's happening yeah. or like on the the train where they're like mm-hmm. the they're going to visit um the sister the good mm-hmm. witch mm-hmm. and you see like the spirits that are on the train and there's just you know it's like quiet so again yeah. you get the stillness and you get the space mm-hmm. and then they get mm-hmm. off and then it's like you have this these mon- like a montage of essentially nothing happening yep, yep. um yeah i mean those you know so so what i found interesting right is if if we sort of synthesize all those things, right? You're trying to, in the poem, or one of the things you can try to do in the poem is recreate the world, right? Mm-hmm. So invent the world, make it new, um, you know, to use the modernist, <laughs> you know, uh, you know, maxim. Um, so you're trying to do that, um, and the the blank page, the tableau de rasa of the blank page is not un- unlike the blank page for the visual artist, right? Mm-hmm. So you begin in that same space. Right. Um, so you try, you, so you have the freedom to recreate the world. Mu um, Kokuseki is doing that. Um, and you recognize that uh, intervals are so important, mm-hmm. right? Then thinking about those three modes, right? Those three modes can become ways of enacting different kinds of um, uh, intervals in the poem, right? Mm-hmm. So if you want your poem to have um, a kind of dynamism, like this, 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 you know, considering multiple things and in, in this certain kind of movement, right? Mm-hmm. Think about how you could take individual stanzas. You have a three stanza poem, mm-hmm. and the first stanza is apocalyptic. The second stanza is liminal, very literally in the middle, right? Um, festival, and the third stanza is elegiac. Or and you can flip that on its head. You know, you can do many things like that. You could write tercets that move that same way. So right. that that is the movement of your three lines, right? Um, uh, I mean, it, I mean to be to you know you could think about even in haiku, right? The idea of uh, I'm going to take I'm going to do that, but use images to be those three modes. Right. You know what I mean? And still and still adhere to the form. Mm-hmm. Um, so that you know those are you know it 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 is um, many of those ideas are nascent, right? So they're they you know I, I don't have like a. a, a a, a full-on, <laughs> you know, like system of, of of poetics, but they 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 are they are fascinating to me enough. Yeah. Um, oh yeah. That that I you know I I you know I made some attempts to to write some poems that were in that, um, uh, in that in that mode, right? Mm. So or, or at least considering that mode, um, and only one of them is in the, the new manuscript and. The, the way I, it's only two stanzas, um, and the way I try to enact that um, is one in a very Lewis Carroll way. One uh, stanza begins with curious, mm. and the second stanza begins with curiouser, um, and okay. then other, other things happen, right? Right, but, right, right? But this was my way of trying to enact those kinds of intervals. The poem is actually about an anime, so there, there's a little bit of that too. But, okay. but you know, it, it like thinking about how language can do that, um, again, I think is uh, a thing that might be, uh, that I would not have arrived at mm-hmm. if I didn't consider, um, well, what is it that I can draw on, right. you know, from that other form. Yeah. Yeah. 
So we're, we, we're like way. Oh, yeah. So this is. You're probably gonna have to like edit or, oh, or do no. something. No, I don't. Well, so I, I typically I've been trying to do two a month, but I missed one for last okay. week. So this will be just this extra long, because to take up the other space. But, um, I feel like we're we've this is a good come to a yeah, good, yeah we should we should pause. We should. Um, but pause. there are two questions that I I try to ask all of my guests. Yeah. Um, one of them is. If you had the vocabulary to describe what your internal landscape is. Uh, so I've been thinking about this a bit, um, not only from listening to your other, um, the other people you've had on. Um, I think that because I grew up in Houston and Louisiana and New Orleans, that it's in a, that that the landscape of the Gulf um, okay. is, is is inescapable. Like, okay. So my, in in fact, I think for for folks who are from there, um, the sea um, is your first poetics. It it it, it, it is mm. it's infected you. It's 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 te- it's taught you a way of of doing something right mm-hmm. in, in in your proximity to it. Um, See, I think like the river, Mississippi River, mm-hmm. for me was probably the first. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so you know, it it. So when I think about my internal landscape, which is, um, uh, you know, not something I always think about, but um, it, it's often being at the edge of the surf. You know, being, being okay. you know. So I don't, I don't ever imagine it. I'm not out on the water, mm-hmm. but I'm, but I'm, I'm connected to it okay in, in but you're, you're in that like the like the transitional title yeah that that synthesis yeah. synthetic place of yeah i mean you know it, some people who follow zodiac they say well that's just your libra coming out <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, 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 oh. i didn't realize that you were a fellow air <laughs> yeah, yeah 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 huh yeah. um but yeah so internal landscape i'm often you know thinking about being is it is it like a traditional beach is it like um it's like a gulf, swamp like it's, swamp beach it, it's it's a gulf beach right okay. so like like definitely not it's not the rocky beaches of the of new england right mm-hmm. um uh but it's not it's not the um the kind of eden-like pure beaches of the caribbean mm-hmm. either you know it's so like grand isles yeah 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 okay. it, it, you know it's, it's more it's somewhere in between okay in in, in, in between there's hmm. um uh is yours, yeah. is yours, so the first person that I asked about this, is, which is the reason that I started asking mm. everyone else, was Shreya's, mm. was Shreya. Mm. Um, and her internal landscape is populated mm. by other other people, other voices. Are Like, for you, are you, and like my, my own personal one, it's usually either me or like a fire pit or a small room that's out there. Um, but it's like, hmm. is, what's is? Are the other people hanging around in yours? Is there? Is it just like you walking along, like the beach? You know, there is wildlife. Maybe you know, um, you know, maybe a a kind of sea bird. Um, okay. So similar to the ones that show up in Derek Walcott a lot, um, uh-huh. the, the sea swift. Yeah. Um, but but only only in shadow, okay. you know. Um, I'm mostly alone. Okay. Um, and you know there are there are structures um, that you can recognize as being um, 
sort of like beach houses, mm-hmm. you know, like behind and around and down. down On stilts? The, yeah, yeah, of course. Okay. Always, you know. <laughs> you know. The only, we don't build anything that ain't on, that, the only you know, from that area. way to have a house on a beach yeah, stilts. Yeah, I mean, you know. Um, uh, or if you grew up in a place where the whole state's below sea level, then, you right, know. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Uh, but, uh, yeah, so, but, but. You know, no, the solitude is profound. Okay. Usually it, there, um, and that might be related to my introverted nature. But um, see, that I'm I'm curious. I would be curious about that because I've like um, I'm sure that other other people that I've talked to, I know for a fact that other people I've talked to on the podcast have been introverts, but very few of them have had like actual like landscape landscapes mm-hmm. as an internal landscape. But mine's like the prairie. Mm-hmm. I don't know why it is. I've never been there, but that's just that's what it manifests as. And I'm I'm curious if that's a and I'm usually alone on like it's just it's either the prairie or me. So it's usually like one of three layers. It's either I'm the prairie and there's nothing walking on mm-hmm. me. I'm myself walking the prairie or I'm watching myself walk on the prairie. Yeah. But it's like there's no other people there. And I'm I'm wonder I'm curious if that's an, a manifestation of introversion. Mm-hmm. Um, or if there's some other quality or aspect that is manifesting itself is yeah. that you are solo on your, yeah, you, out you, in your, you're talking about that. Um, do you know that poem, uh, from, uh, 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 from Robert Duncan It's like, often I'm permitted to return to a, to a meadow, um, is how it opens. Ooh. Um, uh, kind of very famous. I, I'm blanking on the name of the, the poem. Um, uh, it might be the the opening of the field or the op- something like yeah, but I think I think it it begins like often I'm permitted to return to a meadow. Um, if I'm if I'm paraphrasing that poorly, <laughs> forgive I'll see me. If I can find it. <laughs> um, but it, it, it reminds me of that um, uh, when you're talking about the the, the the prairie. Like, are you the prairie? You know, am I am I on the prairie? I, yeah. Am I the prairie? Um, you know, the and ways actually, in which you can move so I, those things. I was talking to Kendra about this when I. Um, recorded with her and I, I said so sometimes I'm the prairie sometimes and then she was like I really want that to be that line sometimes I'm the prairie to be in a poem and mm-hmm. I uh, like two weeks ago I wrote a poem and that it showed up in it and I was like mm-hmm. fuck yes yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, that's how it should go what's the, what's the second question uh, the second question is is there anything anything on any subject that you want to ask me um, just as a oh. like, I like to end on a to see if there's any yeah I mean well you know we, we share a little bit of um uh, and that you grew up in Louisiana. Mm-hmm. Um, so how do you think that that influences, um, you know, how, how do, how, how, so I would say this, right? So there's okay. a, there's a, there, there's an introduction, there's a portion of Confederacy of Dunces in that novel. Um, at the very beginning, they talk about the way in which a port town is, uh, more like other port towns than it is any other town inland. You mm-hmm. know, so Boston and New Orleans have more in common than Boston and Kansas City. Which okay. is actually so. <laughs> there's a one of my friends, uh, my friend's dad, Michelle Juno's dad. Mm-hmm. Um, during our MFA reading, came up to me and was talking to me. He had he had a linguist friend that asked him if he knew why, like New Orleans accents, New York, New Jersey, Boston, mm-hmm. Maryland, all kind of sound similar. Mm-hmm. He's like, no, I've never thought about this at all. And the language said that it's because um, one, they're all port towns, and two, mm. they're all an amalgamation of all the all the different dialects and languages that show up in that port town. Yeah, and I think that 
depending upon the like what is most prominent in that accent is probably like the group of people that have that were the most prominent in that port town but mm-hmm. that makes so that was all to say that's like another another relation between like port towns and yeah like port towns yeah yeah of course of course so i mean i guess the question i would ask is what about um the sort of ethos of louisiana uh shows up in your writing um Well, it, it's interesting that you asked that. I was I was going to ask you that earlier, <laughs> but it, it was just it didn't ever come up in conversation. But like w- growing up in New Orleans, I never really felt I never really felt connected to the city. Hmm. Um, like we, we, I grew up in River Ridge. So mm-hmm. I was like mm-hmm. um, like sandwiched between like white suburbia, like yeah. relatively well to do white suburbia, and kind of not so well to do white and black suburbia. Hmm. Um, but like I spent when I was younger, I wasn't until I was in like late high school, or early college that I actually spent time in the city. It was just mm. something that was never nothing that I really wanted to. But in like I would always so we lived, I don't know, maybe like mm. seven minutes away from the levee. Mm. Um, so water, moving water is something that or just the, the act of like things moving is something that is I think shows up a lot in my poems, usually wind, but it's definitely mm. something that it's like it's a life thing it's like Mm -hmm. either i either have to live by some aspect like some body of water that is moving or like the idea of like being in a space that is not static that there has Mm -hmm. to be like some some energy or some something moving Mm -hmm. um that's why all the men learn to dance right (laughs) i try to explain that to people like you know the idea this is a this is probably a southern thing but the idea that you would go you know and you know, I, I don't think this is only about black culture, but the idea that you would go to like a party mm-hmm. and just be posted up on the wall. Yeah, I mean, you wouldn't be getting any play. <laughs> no, <laughs> better, not... I mean, everybody. Yes, you, you don't. Even, you don't even have to dance well. But the, the idea that like men don't dance, nah. That, no, that that's and not. That, in... that was something that like I actually. So like I'm. As as a music, I think that this is an aspect of of me being a musician. But like I. Music. When I experience music, I experience it on an emotional level. It's mm-hmm. not a physical level. So whenever I'm out doing something, when music is related, like I'm, I'm sitting absorbing it. Mm-hmm. Um, which happened would what happened a lot at dances, which mm-hmm. I was a very unusual thing. And like all of my friends, guys and girls, mm-hmm. when I was younger, would try to get me to dance, and mm-hmm. I was like, I don't. I I want to just like I want to be in this moment and just be in mm-hmm. the moment. But I think the other aspect. Um, that usually shows up a lot is just like the enormity in the uncluttered.ness of the sky, mm. Mm. which like hanging out on the levee, it's like you just yeah. you just see it. Yeah, and it was it took me from moving to like even moving from from around New Orleans to like Lafayette, and then mm-hmm. especially from Lafayette to Baltimore, mm-hmm. that the idea of like because like Louisiana is essentially either flat or a bowl. Yeah, um, like. Things don't really grow up; they yeah. kind of grow out. Mm-hmm. Uh, but because of that, you have like thunderstorms, like heat and lightning, moving all mm-hmm. across the horizon. Which mm-hmm. one you can see because there's fucking nothing. Yeah. <laughs> um, or just trees. But you know, like it's just that the idea of the the immensity or the enormity of, of these this thing that's just like yeah. out there, like that that's like space. That sense of space mm-hmm. for me is is. Um, 
definitely I think manifests itself even like in the, both the visuals of my of my writing, but all again sort of like a, a life, um, like now a state of being that's like space. I guess well, I guess there's really like the two the two like having space but having the energy to blow, to move through it, which mm. actually. I'm showing Stephen recent <laughs> tattoos. Oh, nice! Um, it's a circle and a line, but one of the me- like one of the various levels of meanings mm. for that is like the circle is the representation of space, mm. and the, the line is the representation of like the thing, mm-hmm. like moving something, some, some kind of movement, some right? kind of movement. Because like if it's if it's just space but it's static, it's dead. Yeah. Like, there's there's no there's no life there. It's like life is energy. Life is move movement somewhere. Right. Right. Yeah. But that's interesting. That's cool. Yeah, um, I've I've wanted to. Have you taken the the dialect and like idiosyncrasy quiz that Time Magazine had? Oh, oh, wait, 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 wait. But they do it. Is it? But it's written, right? Like they don't have it. Like you like. Do you say this yes. or this? Mm-hmm. Do you say cold drink? <laughs> you yes. Know? Like, or do you say pop? You know, right. Ooh, uh, soft drink. Uh, we almost okay. So I. Yeah, with family, okay. almost exclusively, we say cold drink. Cold drink, okay. Yeah, you know, and that would be any kind of soda. Yeah, you know. Um, when I when I took it, it like it pinpointed me in New Orleans. So, yeah. So it, so, I often get this like when I tell people where I'm from New Orleans, which I'm sure that you've you've mm-hmm. heard this response. It's like, oh, you don't have the accent, mm-hmm. which right. is true. I somehow I lived New Orleans adjacent for 21 years. I went mm-hmm. to school at Brother Martin, which was like in the like mm-hmm. not in the heart of New Orleans, but like close enough that you would get people from like Chalmette and right. Lansmore and stuff. And I never picked it up. Mm. But I like dialectically or lexicon, I still like yeah. neutral, neutral ground, 18 wheeler yeah. stops. I mean, a red light, regardless of what color it is. Yeah. Um, yeah. Making groceries. Yeah. So you've got, you've got New Orleans diction, but yes, not the New not, Orleans accent. Yeah. yeah. But are, you, are your parents from Louisiana? Uh, my mom is. My mom mm. was born, uh, in Hammond, I mm. think, like mm. close-ish to to where we grew up. My dad's mm. from Canada. Okay, yeah. I mean, that, that's that's often because I, I have some friends I know through Cave Canem um, that uh, same sort of situation mm. where you know they have two parents who aren't from there, but they grew up there, and same kind of idea. They have they have New Orleans slang, yeah, you know, um, but not but not the accent. Um, and I mean, you know, I used to get made fun of it uh, for that sort of in the family a little bit my brother and I yeah I mean um, you you know some version of why do your kids speak so proper (laughs) gotcha you know um, but even even the things that uh, would come out a little bit more when I'm around family Mm -hmm. um, because I spent so much time uh, in high school and in undergrad doing theater Mm -hmm. it, it it you know there was a uh, sort of an intentional um, way in which some of that got diffused, mm-hmm. um, because of the, like the learning of like how to the, the the like just having to arti- just just having to enunciate right to be heard clearly mm-hmm. you know across you know distance in a in an auditorium or right yeah on a stage yeah well that was it, something that like I have a I have a friend who I've known since kindergarten which still astounds me so Shannon if you're listening this is a shout out. Um, but she recently graduated with a master's in vocal performance and she, mm. she's an opera singer and she mm. was telling me one of the times that we talked about like learning a language like learning Italian or German to sing rather than to speak and like the the mm. how you have to over enunciate or like the shape, shape of your, your mouth. mouth yep <laughs> um, and then like because when you 
I feel like when you when you're on that level and like you're using your body in a very particular way, it's like you will probably all end up sounding very very similar to each other because of like the diaphragm's moving in a particular way. The mm -hmm. mouth is this has to be this particular shape. Yeah. And it's just a matter of like if your mouth's bigger or smaller than someone else's, it will color like yeah, and, like and where you're placing your tongue, right? right. To say mm -hmm. to say particular words. Like yeah. so the, the only um, this is just a short thing and and I was doing I was in a production of the Crucible in, in college, and I was playing Proctor, um, John Proctor, um, which was cool. Um, you know, uh, you know, my whole thesis in undergrad was about non-traditional casting, so it was Ooh. it was in that that mode. Um, and the director, we were we were doing a rehearsal, and the director was like, "Stop, stop, stop! What's that word you said?" And uh, I said, "It's naked." And he's like, no, no, naked. <laughs> and like, I, I, that was something that I had that I didn't realize. Yeah. I was spelling, you know, as if to to say N E C K, you know, E D, right? Like yeah. naked, you yeah. know. <laughs> um, he's like, no, no, that's naked. And I was like, oh, I didn't realize. It it, it took me a a um a while to learn wow. to hear the to hear the the difference, the difference you know. Yeah. Wow. Um, so uh, you know, over years, you know, some of those things. Will like show up, you know, depending on what, uh, what the context is. And it's um, so, it's so know. like the whole idea of like code switching, either between like cultures or like mm -hmm. even just like out and with your family, the things yeah, that yeah. that like, you know, I've known friends that um, from like Texas, where the like the the southern draw is super, like it's there. Mm -hmm. And then when they're not there, it's it's it shows up in a couple of things that they say, but it's mostly gone. But if mm -hmm. they go back home to visit and then come back, it's like it's. Like it's you know it's colored again yeah. like that until a little bit of time this passes and yeah yeah I mean but sometimes it's really fascinating so something as simple as like saying um, you know a kid imagining being an adult mm -hmm. you know in Louisiana they might say something like when I get grown mm -hmm. you know instead of when I grow up right. yeah. <laughs> you know <laughs> you know as as if grownness was something to get you yeah. know um, and that that I think that kind of um, way in which, you know, an idiom, um, can, can, you know, flip a little bit, right. um, you know, is gold for poets, you know, oh, yeah. you know, uh, you know, uh, how that could be, how that, that phrase containing that same meaning could be on a line and, and lead to something else. Yeah. I think. And it's like, there's a, so when I was, when I heard Jane speak, um, like, her, I'm always astounded that her poetry has like a has an absolute precision. It's like mm -hmm. even when she's talking, there's an absolute precision of language. But I feel like slang has opportunities for that. That it's like you're saying something, but in a a totally precise way. That the, there's a meaning there that you're that you are arriving at. Um, that is totally separate from the way that you normally mm -hmm. get to that meaning, but is a as direct, if not a more direct way to get to whatever it is that you're trying to say. Yeah, and it's often, you know, sometimes I think it's just alliterative, right? There, there are ways in which people are using uh, um, uh, um, what, we, what poets recognize as um, the sonic, um, what do you call it, like the sonic devices. Mm -hmm. um, and that's been incorporated into speech right uh not only for its rhetorical you know value and, and helping people be persuaded or, or to to remember yeah um but i think just even just for its its beauty yeah. <laughs> you know um though not everyone is going to find <laughs> those things beautiful yeah. but anyway
Uh, thanks, Michael. So yeah, much for so I, me I think this pleasure. is a this yeah. is probably a pretty good place to stop. Um, as a sign off, I'm gonna say just think about all the random, like the the totality of what we talked about because <laughs> it's a lot of really good, a lot of good, I don't like contemplative time to, sure, to spend yeah. with. And then go on, kind of ending on what Stephen said. Go find beauty somewhere, somewhere that you wouldn't think about it, or just be. Don't force yourself to find it, but be open to beauty accosting you someplace that you you did not expect yeah um cultivate some openness yes right? yes there we go <laughs> cultivate openness um so i will be uh doing another episode a solo episode next week i'm hoping that if i say it at the end of this one i'll actually do it um <laughs> boy, it's, it's been a long time coming and i think that i'm going to do a a brief history of haiku so prepare yourselves for that mm -hmm. um and as always thank you for listening i'll catch you all later